Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Kelly Williams agent. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is your local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No sales from the front ever. No smell of stale coffee, Ben Gay, and or disappointment. You know the shit I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done. And I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully education. If you enjoy this podcast, give it a like. Share it. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate if you rate on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever app you're using to listen that really does help and i appreciate it if you have any comments or suggestions go to renegadedetroit.com if you're interested in attending local meetings go to meetup.com forward slash renegade detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash detroit investment club you can hit me up on twitter instagram and snapchat at jeremy burgess and yes t-minus three weeks folks actually by the time you listen to this it might already be up youtube.com forward slash user forward slash detroit wholesaler so i finally got somebody to edit these videos mix in a good quality sound and get them up there i apologize for it taking eight months but what the fuck some shit fell by the wayside that's what happens all right legal disclaimer in no way shape or form should anything that i and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice we highly recommend that you grow the fuck up and before you make any investment decision or decisions, you contact an attorney and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't sue me. All right. Show quote of the week. Time for the Renegade Detroit Investors show quote, where I try and pick a quote that sets a tone, not just for the podcast, but hopefully your week. This week's quote, courtesy of our guest, fall down seven times, stand up eight. That's a Japanese proverb. I fall down twice. That better be it, man. It's fucking <laughs> twice now. Fall down twice, cry for a long time, then get back up. Fall down seven times, stand up eight. Let me introduce you to my guest, Mr. Bruno Lani. Bruno was born and raised in Troy, Michigan. His parents moved to Michigan from Italy shortly after they got married. He graduated from the University of Detroit with a master's in architecture. He's worked on several notable projects, including the Wayne State University Engineering Building, Ford plants all over the world, a few Dan Gilbert buildings in downtown Detroit as well. He has always had an interest in real estate and watched the market closely. He bought two houses in Ferndale during the real estate crash, and he turned one of them into rental property. He decided to get his real estate license last year and shortly thereafter was recruited into the Delia Group at Keller Williams and Royal Oak. So we worked together at least shortly. And last year he has helped 40 plus sellers and buyers achieve their real estate goals which is pretty impressive in the next few months he's going out to california orange county to join his wife and take his three dogs out there and expand the delia group into another state you can reach him at bruno b-r-u-n-o at the delia group the D-E-L-I-A group.com. And he also has a Facebook fan page, but I could be reading for an hour before he got to the end of the URL. So you got a bitly link in the show notes that you'll see. Bruno, hello, coming out, man. Hello, hello, hello. So just to be clear, he used to be an architect, and now he's a sales master at the <laughs> Dealey Group. Keller Williams out of Royal Oak. Sales. Yeah. Thanks I think for I, coming out, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. What do you think so far? Well, not bad. Not yeah. bad. Strange. A little strange talking to the mic. A little, a little different, but I think I can adapt. I'll, I'll go with it. 
first of all, I should have known you were Italian. <laughs> now I know that th- this is why I love immigrants too, right? So you're literally – were you conceived, do you think, in Italy and born in America? No. Uh, so my parents got married, uh, and I think within a few months they were on a, literally were on a boat to come here and that, and that was back in the day where air travel was still expensive and you it was really a boat you got a, a boat. shitty boat <laughs> yeah you took a week a week long <laughs> i think it's like the titanic the people that were below they yeah had like the, they lock the, them in yeah they put the little lock and no you die bring a trunk of their stuff um so i'm the youngest of four so my uh my sister came i think soon after they came here and then uh my other two brothers before that and then i was like the uh it's the surprise down the road so a surprise. Yeah. Were there, I always, when people say that, were, were you always surprised? Cause I'm pretty sure I know how this happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you mean unplanned, right? Yeah. I think I'm, a, there's a five year difference between me and my, uh, the next brother. So oh, that's pretty significant. Yeah. And then yeah. there's like a th- three year distance between all three of them <laughs> or four year distance. So I was a surprise. You were surprised. Well, good surprise. Um, what made your parents come to Michigan? Uh, opportunity. Um, fuck yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when people, you know, bitch about immigrants coming here you don't people don't realize that this is still an awesome place to have opportunity and especially if you're I living in a show yeah. yeah i don't bitch about it yeah so um my aunt came here first my dad's uh, sister um you know italy back then this was um still in like the 60s um you know their economy was was still sort of shitty uh worse before then after the war yeah that post-world war ii italian economy there just wasn't an economy there was nothing a lot of people don't realize tens of thousands of people starved to death yeah and that was with american aid yeah and so my dad actually grew up during that like during the war right after the war um you know just saw the opportunity here uh he had a couple small businesses back in italy he was a very like talented mechanic Saw the opportunity here. His sister was already here established. They had uh, some other family members to move in with here. So they started, lived uh, lived with them in Detroit, you know. Um, and I think within a few years, bought some property in Troy, built a house, got things moving along. Within a few years they did that? Yeah, probably within, Man. I think, an eight-year span. So, you know, my dad worked a couple jobs. Uh, Mom stayed home, raised the kids. But I think my dad was pretty much probably pulling in 80 hours, different locations, you know. I can hear my my dead uncle from Coos Bay, Oregon, talking about how immigrants, Catholics, and Democrats were going to ruin this country. (laughs) (laughs) He was a very smart. I always want to point out all the shit he has because immigrants work so fucking hard, you know, while he's just – you know, maybe leave your sorry ass loser town, you know, it's opportunity all over the world. He won't even drive out of town and your parents literally had to get on a boat. Yeah. Did they have to row? What kind of boat was it? Do we know? It's like old school all the way across an ocean and where people actually died and sank and then come and work hard enough yeah. where you can buy land and build a house a few years after you get here. God bless America. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not even religious. <laughs> but Yeah. I think it just goes to the point of that your work ethic and you're just, you know, getting out there and doing what it takes is, is the biggest difference, you know, that in anything you do in life, I think it's just getting out there and doing it. So, well, with technology, people better get used to the idea of a global economy. It's getting smaller and yeah. smaller all the time. Like for instance, on the dealer group team, how many, do we know how many VAs we have working? Uh, we have, I think 
two, definitely two, maybe three now that yeah. are virtual assistants from the VAs Philippines. Vir- right? Virtual assistants, yeah, yeah. This is your competition, folks. They do it better. They work harder. They, they work produce for, better product. They for, work for a lot less. For a lot less. Yeah. That is your future. If you're listening, you better go out and get some damn skills and improve your attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes down to skills. Yeah. yeah, skills and attitude. Skills and attitude. If it was your yeah. job, you would have it. That's that's why I point out. If it was your job, you would have it. Anyway, I got sidetracked. I just love the come success story, immigrant thing, yeah. and especially with the backdrop of everything going on in America right now, I had to get on my soapbox a little bit. So anyway, no, and I uh, no, and I, I the weirdest thing is like uh, I think anyone who came here from Italy was there. You know, there was a lot of farming back where they lived, so we pretty much had like an urban farm. Love it. You know, I'm down in with the, that, you know, in the early seventies where before it was cool. They, you know, we hipsters before hipsters. I said, I told Joe, I said, I've been living this lifestyle for 30 years. I'm like, don't I'm like, you can't, comp- don't, don't try to disparage me. Uh, you know, we had chickens before it was couth to have kitchen, you know, chickens in the neighborhood. I think we sort of grandfathered it in. Um, you know, they had a farm. They still, my mom still has a pretty decent sized farm and grows more stuff than anyone needs in the family or, you know, and produces. So it's, it's really odd that it's come full circle that everyone's doing it these days. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that people came over and didn't, didn't understand like what we were doing in the yard and, you know, why there were grapevines, why there was a. Yeah. America yeah. then was a food desert. Yeah. That's something a lot of people, well, I don't know. We're not that old, but yeah. I've actually lived in Italy, by the way. Yeah. I lived in Gaeta, Italy, and Rome, Italy. So all I have to say is thank God for Europe and food, because when I went <laughs> over there early 90s, it was still bad. And for those who don't remember, that's when Reagan, we just left Reagan, where ketchup was a vegetable. I thought there were only two kinds of olives, black and green, and I didn't even know what an eggplant was. <laughs> and then I moved to Europe and eventually to Italy, and it was great. I lived in Gaeta for a year, and then I lived in Rome for a year. It was amazing. I had these little old ladies. They were still growing yeah. every tomato you could possibly imagine. I'm talking hundreds of varieties. Now everybody's mm-hmm. like heirloom this, heirloom that. Yeah. I mean, it's all – this. There, there was beef eaters, yeah. Romas back then. That's was it. That's it. And quite yeah. frankly, they sucked, and they were mealy, you know? We have uh, – they've definitely uh, brought over some, some uh, seeds and – and plants and some trees that might not have been legally brought into the U.S., Good. But, but they're there now. So That's one of the uh, debates I have with my permaculture urban farmer yeah. friends they're always talking about invasive species. I'm like, motherfucker, you're an invasive species. <laughs> yeah, we, you can make the argument we're the worst invasive yeah. species. You know, you're worried about my weeds? You know, yeah. I've killed everything. I cut it all down, and you're worried about my weed? No, I'm going to grow some food. I don't care how you feel about this, so. I'm an invasive species. Yeah, my uh, my grandma grew. She, my grandma actually came over here shortly after we moved here from Italy, and uh, she would go back like every summer and probably sneak back like a plant or two in her suitcase. Uh, <laughs> go grandma. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how the you're original gonna, terrace, right? Yeah, I don't know how you're going to stop like a seventy year old with like a plum tree in her suitcase. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> They throw her ass in jail right now and probably beat yeah. her half to death. The terrorist act of growing food in your yeah. front yard. How big is her farm now? Uh, it's an acre. Well, they, they have an acre plot. It's like one of the older subdivision streets. And uh, the, there's a ton of fruit. I was out there a couple of weeks ago pruning some fruit trees, a bunch of fruit trees, uh, a couple of chickens left. Um, the garden has shrunk over the years. 
but it's still uh good i'd say maybe uh like an eighth of an acre of, of a that's still pretty good yeah. size i am but, i am up to four fifths of an acre this year so that's pretty good every year i try and expand i like my yard <laughs> i like jumped in my neighbor's yard yeah we agreed for a for a little vegetable split. Then I jumped in my other neighbor's <laughs> yard. You should uh, you just stop by my mom. My mom has like a I swear to you, she would be a like a master gardener if there was you know if she had the education for it. Seriously, dude, every, I would love to. Every, if she needs any help pruning yeah. or anything, I I'm literally I'm actually a pretty shitty real estate and business person and yeah. a much better <laughs> farmer and dog person. If you really want to get down to it, yeah. Well, I would yeah I would love to do that also, but it doesn't really produce much income. That so. is the downside <laughs> to that lifestyle. But it is a good uh, zen. Uh, you know, break from the, uh, from the norm of just getting in out there and sort of losing yourself in that, you know, and sort of, I don't know, I guess, um, centering yourself again, you know, you get caught up in all this stuff that really doesn't mean anything in the long run. And that, no, really that always just sustains, you know, so get some sunshine, get some dirt under your, under your fingers. Well, let me know. I, I would not mind coming out, helping, okay. checking it out. If anything I could do, let me know. Yeah. And I'm dead serious about that. I do this shit all the time. I'd much rather, I don't have weekends. This is what I do on weekends. I yeah. did. 25 hours of farming last week. I, I just much rather what I do than anybody else. I'd love to help out your grandma and pick her brain. Cause I bet she can teach me some old, old school yeah. stuff. Cause I'm learning all this stuff. A lot of it's been lost. I wasn't taught to me. So I had oh, to yeah, figure yeah. a lot of it out. Oh yeah. And then it's like, cause the, you know, I, you know, like the Rubinis, the, uh, it's like the broccoli family. Mm. You plant them in the, uh, late, late, uh, fall. And they like one of the first things to come up in the garden before you even, plant anything else yeah i don't even know what that is yeah so you can harvest late in the fall and then it'll come up it's been coming up for the last month in my mom's garden it's like you know like the broccoli rob yeah the rubini so you could there's a couple varieties my mom has it's been she's been picking for the last couple of weeks that are just Dude, delicious awesome. but you yeah know, before you can even get out there and plant anything it's already growing i got so, some peas popping yeah i got a bunch of lettuce and kale coming i think i'm still a few weeks away before i have anything don't when are you leaving for california uh, I'm going to try to get the house listed in the next couple of weeks here. Um, and then hopefully the end, uh, like mid June, end of June, try okay. to, I'm trying to get out there in June is my deadline just to get, get my ass in gear. Yeah. So. Your wife's out there all by herself yeah. too. So, yeah. well, so what made you obviously immigrant family? I'm sure education was incredibly important yeah. to your family, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, was it, you're going to college no matter what? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so that was always pushed and I was, I was probably wasn't always the best student. Cause I just probably didn't constant like I wasn't, I'm definitely probably an ADD kid that never got diagnosed, yeah. but I was smart enough to get by without the studying and, and the work. But, uh, you know, I, that took me, <laughs> took me years to realize that about yourself. That, uh, so I'm not stupid. I just can't focus. <laughs> yeah. And I always did. I was probably a B student, but I easily could have done more if I just was you know, a little more concentration there in that work ethic involved. But, um, so yeah, they always pushed college. It took me a while to figure out architecture was what I wanted to do. And then, um, I'm one of those personality types that I think keeps it. I think I, when I did my, uh, personality profile, it's one of those people that can change careers every 10 years or so, depending on the, on the shift, you know? So what was your profile out of curiosity? Uh, high I, D, um, how high I D? Do you remember? No, I don't remember. You like I, Joe, ninety nine across the board. No, the I is probably the, the highest. Um, then I think it's like D S C, um, and then I have a very high patience tolerance, like threshold for my vector, um, which I 
come to realize real estate makes a huge difference. I was going to say, can I have some of that? Yeah. I am not patient at no. all. Yeah. Cause I've, I've seen deals just blow up and I just remain calm and everything just circles back in a week or two and everyone else has calmed down, you know, going crazy. Um, you know, I, we had a guy trying to sue us for an EMD that, uh, you know, buyer couldn't afford. And, uh, he finally calmed down and he called me the other day. This is a couple of weeks after. And he asked if we could still do a deal if they gave more concessions. <laughs> so it was, you know, this, you got to keep your head cool, yeah, right? This guy went from screaming at us to wanting to come back and work with us. So, in the end, everyone wants it to work out. So, I think having that that patience has come to burn me in the past too by not, you know, doing something and you know, getting off the pot and uh, making a move. Yeah, it but, is a fine line yeah. between being like Joe, yeah, and then being like my wife, who has the ultimate patience, yeah. and then Joe, who who that's our fearless leader, who has no patience. I mean, he can be patient. There's a difference. It's a personality trait though. He wants everything now. I wouldn't mind some of your patience if you can, uh, I don't know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Rub off. Can I, yeah. I, oh, well. for people not for listening, I was rubbing Bruno, but it, trust me, it was arm. It was fine. You know, in each. Well, I think the big thing is, um, you know, if you do have a problem that you're looking for solutions. So if you can remain calm and just think, think about it and what's the next step and, Instead of getting emotion tied into it, you know, that's that's where you can falter and not because emotions are just going to get in the way. You want logic to figure out what what you can do to make it, you know. It could be tough in the heat of the moment, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying I'm not saying it's not there, but I'm saying sometimes it's better to step away and then figure it out and then uh, fire off that email or fire off that call <laughs> right away. <laughs> Might be uh, <laughs> like you know, in the long run, that's not going to usually doesn't help anything, you know. So. But sometimes you do got to get it off your chest. I know that. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. So you had to go to college. What made you do architecture? Because that's a very challenging degree to get. And if I remember correctly, isn't the third year the worst year? Was that right? Or uh, Well, they put you through the ringer. It's a lot of hours involved. Um, it's uh, it's a mix between, I guess, a little bit of art, a little bit of engineering, um, like craft, hands-on. Um, you know, a little bit of sculpture involved. Uh, there's a big, huge just difference between the educational field of it and the actual real life uh, portion of it of being an actual, you know, as in being employed. Um, but you know, that's not the the only degree that's that way. <laughs> so, um, so I think it's there's a good mix of always having somewhat of an art background and being like solutions solution driven and figuring out a way to you know create stuff. Um, you know, I still love it. I still, I still, you know, practice a little bit here and there, or, uh, you know, I just sketched out a room for a client today. We had an inspection and they were looking at doing some remodeling and, you know, I just put it on pen on paper and showed them what they could do. But so it's always the thing that's, you know, it's never think about that. It's like yeah. a nice little ad. Like, Hey, yeah. 10 years. Boom. Yeah. You know, and when we see a house is, I don't really get too discouraged. If I see, I, I can explain to them what's going on. If there is a problem, we can figure out a solution for it. If it is a big concern, if not. You know, so uh, I think the two fields go hand in hand. Um, I think, you know, some realtors have no idea about a house and the way it's constructed or built. And, you know, some some things that are could be problems or think some things that could be, you know, easily fixed or maintained. So it's, it's it really hasn't hurt me. Uh, I think it's really helped. And then I think, you know, showing your buyers or your sellers that count, that, that know-how, it's been a, a good uh, thing to bring to the table. So you obviously enjoy 
architecture and yeah did you enjoy the work as well well so the big thing is i think i sort of got burned out and uh like fizzled at my last job because i think i really needed more than something that was a little bit more active based uh i needed to step away from the desk you know being at the same desk for you know nine to ten hours a day oh it was a little oh, yeah it just didn't fit my personality and i think i, I didn't you know i wasn't honest for myself for a while and i just needed to change and uh doing real estate you're just always mobile and moving around and you can have a mobile office you can go into the office you know so that that fits really well with my personality type of uh you know focusing on some small tasks at a time and juggling you know 30 different things it's it's not too bad for me is this i can usually my attention span is is short enough and long enough for these tasks (laughs) that if there's 30 of them i can (laughs) rifle through them pretty fast so it's not an easy thing to do, though. You had a lot of years invested because you got a master's yeah. in architecture, and then you worked for ten years. Yeah. That's that's. I think if we're looking at it from an investment point of view, you call that sunk cost. That's a significant sunk cost that you have in one direction in your life. And I'm not sure what your mm-hmm. education cost, but that's not cheap. And then ten years of working. How did you? How did you convince yourself to make the change? And then what specifically you talked about a little bit, what specifically about being a real estate agent attracted you? Uh, I think the big thing in making the change was being out of a job and thinking about like, do I want to get another architectural job or is this the time to step away and do something else? Did you, know? you get laid off or were you fired? I was or? sort of lit fired because I, but I, I, when I think about it, I knew like my heart wasn't in it and I was sort of just going through the process probably the last few months. And it's one of those things that you sort of get pushed out because you don't, you're not ready to take that step out of it. So I think I easily could have jumped on to another, another architectural position. But, and then I realized like, this is like, if I couldn't make it work at my last job, it's not, I'm probably not going to make it work at another architectural position. So I need something different. Um, always had the interest in real estate, always had uh, an investment property. Um, so I, I feel like, like, you know, it's a natural fit you know, did those personality tests being the, uh, being outgoing, um, sort of fit my profile. And, uh, I just went for it and, uh, I don't really have any regrets for it. So, and it's one of the things architecture is a great industry, but you know, the pay is not there. Real estate, you know, you put the hours in, you put the, you put the time invested in it. You can see that return. So commission only baby, right? Make it or don't that's motivating. Yeah. So, um, I, but I, having the 10 years experience, it doesn't help or it doesn't hurt to have it. I, you know, if I want to go flip a house, if I want to remodel a house or, you know, show, I can, I have that in my back pocket as an investor also on the investor side of things of seeing the potential in houses that some people can't. So I always, I don't see it as a bad thing and I can, you know, do a lot of the work myself or design it for someone else to do it. And at least I'll have that background of someone else is doing it that I know what needs to be done and. You know, they're not taking me for a sucker. So, <laughs> you were married when you made this decision as well, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, How'd yeah. You convinced you because that's people listening be like, that could be tricky water to navigate, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think my wife was definitely owed some patience because definitely the, the, the hard thing about transitioning, especially real estate, is you have a few months that you're going to not have any sales and some downtime of just getting into the industry. So, you know, luckily we didn't have any kids to support. Uh, we were always pretty financially frugal and, uh, you know, had some backup. So it wasn't like a big, big strain, but I can, I can see it when new people join into the workforce that you definitely have to plan for that or be ready to, 
you know, eat bologna sandwiches for a couple of weeks. <laughs> to, I like bologna, <laughs> fried bologna. Reminds me of my childhood. So you didn't have to do, you didn't have to convince her to make this change. Uh, I think or, she knew I was in ready to, to make a move. Um, you know, and so just that support of being there and like, you know, as long as we were, we were doing something, like the big thing, as long as you were working and doing something, you're not just sitting, sitting on your ass all day. Yeah. yeah you, so, so you weren't stuffing your face with Doritos. Oh, what was me on the couch? No, I, uh, remodeled like a downstairs bathroom and then, uh, worked towards my real estate, uh, license. And then, uh, so yeah, I was always doing something. So make yourself useful. Yeah. I think I recited my garage. Uh, so things like that, things I, I like to do, but don't make, don't produce any income. <laughs> so. I feel a lot of Italian stereotypes coming out. Did you tile yeah. your bathroom? I did. And then you went out and, and I don't know if did you do any concrete work. Let's just cover all the bases. Uh, I've done concrete work. I had a, I did level the floor. Um, I put some, uh, you know, uh, some liquid leveler down. Uh, I don't know if it's in my blood, but I am a great tiler. And, uh, I put in some pretty sweet marble tile in the bathroom and, uh, probably did a little bit too much over the topness of it, but it's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so. So if you're not from Metro Detroit for decades, uh, Italian American immigrants, were the construction industry. So when I make on those jokes, it's because they had like, now it's more, it, there's still plenty of Italians. It's, yeah. it's just more diverse, but for years it, they had them in a headlock. They had controlled everything. So I hate to have to explain jokes, but I just want people mm-hmm. in Germany going, what is he talking about? Yeah. I don't understand. You making Italian jokes. It's not funny if I got to explain it. Thank you. Internet. So yeah, I have plenty of relatives in that, in that industry that were, uh, you know, in all types of forms of construction, being from like concrete to like sewer work to yep. finish carpentry. But yeah, so it's not the, it's not, a, it's not a, I guess it is a, a stereotype, but I'll, I'll admit that it's true on my side of it. So. My uncle, by the way, he built this city. So yeah. if you're wondering about what they're doing, they're not all sitting on welfare, cash and checks. They built this city. So you were, we talked a little bit before you started, um, cause you weren't a real estate agent very long before, you were poached, right? Because no, I think I had about whew, maybe a couple months under my belt. Uh, had one deal go through and just started getting running. Um, and then uh, probably you know did the, the did the the scripts and as far as like you know holding some open houses for other agents, you got some buyers going that way. And then uh, a couple people from our team, uh, Tom and John, were uh, in my one of my ignite classes at KW. And they uh, t- told me they were with the Delia Group with Joe starting, and uh, the opportunity was there, and it uh, seemed like a pretty good fit. So we sort of hit the ground running. So you didn't have to do much of a sell job. You're just you're looking. You're like that seems like a good idea. You just jump. Yeah, right I in. met with Joe and over like the possibilities and opportunity, and, and you know there was really no downside. It was you know if there if it didn't work out, we always just could have stepped away from it and done our own thing. So it was you know biggest thing about is joining a team is you have other people to bounce things off of. Uh, I think the hardest thing for new agents is it's just, you're doing stuff you've never done before. You're running into situations that you have no one to really conference with about, uh, you're on a team, you can bounce that off of someone and, you know, get a reply back or get someone's perspective of it pretty, pretty easily. So, you know, and then they're also usually getting some leads. So you're not, you know, we talked about that time phase of where you're not getting anything done and you're just trying to generate business. It can take a little while. So, that's yeah, a steep start, especially if you don't know what you're doing, which I yeah. don't, right? Yeah. So most people don't. Um, so you actually joined Keller Williams. Which, did, which office did you join before uh, you joined the Daily Group? Uh, Royal Oak. Royal Oak. Okay. Yeah. 
So you were, you were in proximity of Joe striking, and he just <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Bruno, you are now Delia Group. <laughs> I'm the uh, illegitimate cousin, I think, of the of the team. Hey, you you fit right in. That's 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 what I say. So let's talk about your first deal before the Delia Group, because I'm just I'm I'm very curious about this. So it's one of my questions I always have. Your first deal, and I know it's not technically your first yeah. deal, but your first, we'll say, your first agent. Yes. Yeah, so deal. walk me through how you, you got that lead and how you got it. So that one was pretty easy because that was a family member. That was my sister-in-law whose rental was getting sold and it sort of gave her that push to buy a house. So, uh, that was definitely a learning curve of what it takes for, a, you know, a deal to go through. Um, but you know, that was, I want to say, so a lot, you know, one of those things in your business is the first thing with this is just call your friends and family and see if anyone needs your assistance. Right. So that happened pretty naturally in this case. Um, pretty easy going client. Uh, the downfall with working with friends and families, you could be also working with your friends and family. So, uh, uh, that one was a little tricky as far as, you know, you're, you're working out with lender. Like that's when you start to learn the closers, a whole different closing aspect of, of, the, of the transaction of, of getting your ducks in a row getting it lined up to closing. So that one was a little bit struggle working with the lender. That wasn't the greatest on their end of getting everything completed, but eventually, you know, the deal went through, uh, you know, she's happy. Uh, we got into a, to a house in Royal Oak last, last year, right before the market really took off. So it was good timing. Yeah. It was perfect yeah, for her. Good timing. She so, probably has equity already the way Royal Oak went. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. It was, and then that sort of, you know, and then it, this industry isn't, you know, it's not rocket science. There's, Every time I go to those KW training seminars and classes, you know, 60% is just the same stuff over and over again. So you really follow that. You're going to be on your way just, but it's just really sticking to that. Those, you know, those scripts and those, those lead gens and everything, everything they talk about is about, you know, producing business. It's, it'll happen for you. Well, now we're getting a lot closer to the main topic. Mm. I like stories because I think stories sell and I think yeah. stories teach and I'm, intensely interested but you're also I, you're from the outside looking in you look like a stone cold killer closing deals post mm -hmm. pictures in fact if you go to your facebook page i think yeah. i've posted more pictures of stuff than you have all you have are client 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 yeah. close 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 so i'm not entirely sure where to start but let's start with um legion mm -hmm. right you talked about sphere of influence calling everybody you know how do you do that what do you say and obviously the goal of that would be to book an appointment correct yeah so i think the the big uh fear people have is rejection of of someone telling you no um but if you can just look past that and you're just offering a service i, I never felt bad calling someone because I, I was always competent in the service we were offering so, you know, I'm just, I'm lending out a hand if they would like to take it. Great. If not, you know, I'm going to move on to someone else, but I'm not trying to swindle them. I'm not trying to sell them something they don't need. Uh, like I have confidence in what we're trying to offer. So it was, like, I never felt bad if they told me no, you know, so I'm not, I'm not trying to sell them a, a chamois or something, you know, uh, that <laughs> they're going to be, but wait, yeah, so there's exactly. more Bruno. So yeah. Order so, now. Um, I think if you have that confidence in going forward and, uh, you know, you're going to get told, no, you're going to get told to fuck off. Uh, but you'll eventually be told, yeah, I could, I could use some help or I could use your service. Um, you know, you'll, you'll reach people who, who will, who will reach out to you and, uh, um, 
you know, I think most like, I think it's like 90% of people use the first realtor they talk to. So if you just get in front of them at the right time, chances are you're going to have a pretty good shot. Do you have a script you follow or? Um, give me, give me that Bruno lay it down, man. So it's been a while since I've been on the phones cause I'm trying to get out of here. But, um, you know, in this market, it was pretty much, you know, uh, we have buyers interested in your neighborhood, uh, and you know, the inventory is very low. Uh, if you're looking to sell, this is a great time. Um, and we'd be happy to help you out, you know, and, and that's all, it's all true pretty much, you know, their inventory is low and we do have buyers on our team. They're looking <laughs> in this neighborhood. So that was usually that's been the go-to one for a few months, and then uh, letting people know that the market is a seller's market at this point. So if they were thinking of moving or selling their house in the last few years, this is the ample time to do so for sure. So, so you, you led with it's kind of like a soft sell and then add value. Yeah. So no, nothing really difficult, right? Yeah, and well, then you're pretty much just asking them a question if they're if they're if if they need any help in real estate now or in the near future is what it pretty much comes down to. You know? What if they say no? Do you just get off the phone or do you immediately follow uh, up? No, I usually try to get some info, try to get an email address from them so we can put them on a mailer. We can put them on a, on a campaign to reach back out to them. Um, you know, some people might not be ready. Some might people be like, yeah, uh, I'm interested, but not for six months or next year. Uh, get their info and just try to, you know, reach out to them through emails. We'll send out some some marketing stuff and we'll try to get back a phone call or an email to them. And just let them know that we're there, we're top of mind, you know, so if they do think of a realtor or, if, you know, if they, they need something, they're going to think of you because you've been in contact with them every so often or they're getting your emails. So they're not, it's just going to be easy for them to be like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. And then like, oh, this guy's been calling me or emailing me. I'll reply back to him and see if he can help me out. So Okay. How many, do you know, do you have any idea how many calls you had to make to, to really get, to really get it going or... How many calls a week, maybe? Or mm, I couldn't really give you the big numbers. I know you're going to be right off the bat. If you're talking about from a newbie perspective, you're going to suck on the phones and you're going to be nervous, um, and then you're going to be shocked when someone says yes. <laughs> I can use your service. Yes, I can. Really? Frantic. I mean, yeah. To good. Figure out what you need to get from them as far as information wise. Um, but it's one of those things that uh, practice and just doing it, you'll be more effective at it. You'll be more efficient at it. You know. Any do's or don'ts while you're while you're talking to them? Uh, I think you don't. If they say no, uh, don't like don't easily get off the phone. To try to try to get some information from. Try to try to build with somewhat of a rapport. With All right, well, let's do one. Let's, right. let's do one. You're 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 calling me. I'm not going to be real angry though. Yeah. All right, I just want to. <laughs> I'll go kind of easy. I'll just be like a normal. No, I'm not interested. Kind yeah. of thing. All right. So, hello. Oh, hi. This is uh, Bruno with the Delia Group. Uh, you know, we have, I'm a realtor. We have plenty of buyers looking in your neighborhood. Unfortunately, the inventory is really low. Uh, this is a great time to sell your house. If you guys are looking or if you have a, a neighbor or family friend you can think of that could use our assistance, we'd be happy to help you out. No, I'm, I'm not interested. Thank you. All right. Well, if you're, in, if you're in interested in the near future or maybe next year? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't really given it any thought. All right. Well, do you have anyone keeping you up to date on the market? We'd love to just send out a, we send out a monthly email just giving you a rundown of the market around you. Uh, you know, you can keep an eye on how things are going and when the time's right, you know, we could be happy to help you out or give you a, a price on what you think your house is worth. Yeah, man. I don't know if I need another email. No. All right. Harder. Well, how about I give you a call back in a couple months, see how things are going and seeing if you can use our help then. Smooth talker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You're ready. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're yeah. ready for that. Yeah. Well, you hear that thousand times right? Yeah. you get, uh, Hey, I'm impressed. That's good. I'm going to record that and listen to that. <laughs> Wait, I'm doing that right now. Yeah. So I think, so yeah. you were relentless, but you weren't, 
pushy at all. No, you don't have to be. I don't think you don't have to be relentless. I think you could just different ways of asking for information or if they can need your help, you know. And then I think if you're being genuine about it, I think that sort of that carries through the phone line. What you, if they go angry? What if they go, no, why are you calling me? Yeah, well, eight you, o'clock in the morning's too early, Bruno. You know, you see, like I have buyers who are looking, and it's getting frustrated for them to find houses that you know to, they're looking to move, and there's no houses available. So, you know, I I, I don't really want to bother you, but I'm trying to find a house for these people, and hopefully, if you're looking to sell, we could help you out also. Dude, that's some gold right there. Yeah. So uh, they give you straight heat, and you're just like tossing it right back. Yeah, well, there's, there's that patience thing, right? So if you're going to bring heat back to them, they're going to they're, they're <laughs> almost going to you kill them with kindness, right? So you, they bring heat back. You bring you bring heat. You just get a bigger fire. You know, you you step back and be cool about it. Hopefully they'll 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 see your true ways. You know, and I get it. People call call and get harassed, and I I think I got like two calls today of them just garbage. You know, telemarketing calls, but you know where there's not an actual real person on the other line. So I could see getting frustrated, but, you know, we do great work. We do provide great services. So I can't, you know, can't be apologetic about that. No, I love it. So So let's say, okay, you book the appointment. Mm -hmm. What do you do at the appointment? So let's say it is an appointment to list, to sell the home, potentially sell the home. So you're you're going Mm -hmm. and your goal is to get them to sign an exclusive listing, right? On the spot, ideally, right? That's always your goal when you leave, right? Yeah. Yeah. What walk me through, and, and maybe it's different for other people. Cause yeah. you did mention earlier, and I think maybe before we started that you assess the personality of your clients. Yeah. So I don't want to put words in your mouth. I just remember we had, we had a brief conversation before mm-hmm. we started. So, um, I, well, we'd like to do build a little rapport beforehand, hopefully confirm the appointment, uh, you know, see how they are on the phone. Uh, we usually send out a pre-listing packet to them that has like our marketing campaign, uh, rundown of the numbers, try to, try to get a value of what we think their house is at without really seeing it, trying to get some info beforehand of, you know, if they've redone the kitchen or if they've redone the bathroom, uh, we'll compare it to what's out there and see where it sort of falls in line, see what they owe on it. So you can give them a seller net sheet to see what they're taking away, you know, at the end of the day, if we do sell at a price we think we can get for it, um, you know, and the same goes for if you're having a buyer's meeting. I think that personality type, as you can see, if they're if they're more about the numbers, you know, you're going to have to focus more about the numbers and and break down that uh, that market analysis of where you think their house is at. They could care less about the numbers, you know, of what the they're they're trusting you sometimes with the price point. They want to see what you're going to do more for marketing. Uh, they're more concerned about what you know who you're letting into their house and their valuables that they have. You know, they already trusted you with the price and they're fine with that, but they want to see how you're going to sell your their house for them or how you're going to take care of their house as far as getting people in and out of there. So, um, you know, when you, when you're going over the numbers and you see like that glaze or you're going over the contract and you see that look <laughs> over their face that they could care less about the detail, uh, in the, in the or the contract, I'll, sometimes I'll speed it along and, you know, and barely touch over it. Cause you can tell that sometimes you can, I guess one of the good things I picked up the other day was sometimes you could lose the deal by overselling, you know, these people are already, ready to say yes and you're keeping yeah you're dragging it out yeah right? yeah yeah. So, they said yes already they'll sign anything and then you fuck it up yeah 45 minutes to- <laughs> exactly so <laughs> how yeah. do you so how do you how do you determine so is it just all on nonverbal cues or uh, I, honestly i struggle with this. this is why i'm i tend to do the same thing every time yeah. and that's not the best approach so well i think the big thing is we'll we'll send out a packet beforehand so if they've looked at it beforehand um, and then how much have they looked at it beforehand? Cause I'm bringing the same packet printed out 
And if they've just briefed on, like briefly looked at it, or if they've clicked on some of our photos, or if they've looked through the whole uh, market analysis of the price point, and, they, and they're tell, asking me about houses in the neighborhood that are on there, mm. I can see how much they're vested in it. But you know, most people don't have that time um, to do that. Also, so um, but if they did, that means they're probably more of a numbers person, and they're gonna you're gonna sell them on that numbers game of the house. Okay, um, so step one is just kind of. What do they pay attention to in the packet? Did they look at it? And yeah. what, what were they focused on? And that helps you. So mm-hmm. if they're focused on the marketing, you sell the marketing. If they're focused on the numbers, you sell the numbers. You're focused on the trust, you sell the trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that trust is the biggest thing, right? So you build that rapport and that trust right off the bat. You're going to tend to work with people you like more and trust more than the people uh, who maybe give you a different number or a better number. But if you don't have that rapport, there's a certain balance of them going with you just off of that. How do you build rapport? Cause I mean, if I know if it's sphere of influence, mm-hmm. you might have some yeah. tangential connection. Right. But I think your it, average person might, I mean, yeah. maybe they haven't talked to him since high school or something. How, how do you build that rapport on the phone and in person? Uh, I think you genuinely ask questions you care about and you, you try to figure out where they're coming from and who they are. Uh, you know, and if they see that, that you're being sincere and you're, you know, you're remembering that and you're talking about that and, uh, you know, you, you go down someone's house and you see that, you know, uh, the guy we had the other day was, you know, avid, you know, marksman and, uh, you know, was into shooting. It was, was had his, had his own, um, refill kit announced in the basement for loading his shells. You know, you can break away with a conversation like that. You know, like I like trap shooting. He likes trap shooting this game, you know, like you build rapport like that. And, but I think as long as you're somewhat honest or you're interested, you know, you're asking them or you ask them about a hobby you're not familiar with in the, you know, people love to talk about stuff like that. So the biggest thing is letting people talk and you listen is a huge thing too. So if you're not, if you're just talking the whole time, I think you're going to lose most appointments appointments. I think honestly, I try to talk as little as possible and let them do the majority of it. No. How long does the average listing appointment last? Uh, you know, that, that's really going to depend on who you're meeting with. If it's the talker that, you you know, that's just, oh, yeah. uh, and you're some, stuck half the times, it's not even about the house. You know, it's like, that's another whole conversation of, <laughs> of random topics. Um, and you politely just, you know, you go, you go along with it, but I think probably half hour ish, um, would be the typical, maybe a little longer by the time, depending on the house too. You know, you do the tour of the house, you point out some things for them and then you can go over the packet. And that's one of the things is how much do you have to really go over your packet or are they just you know ready to sign? You know, so do you use a physical paper packet or do you use iPad or, or uh, it's a use? physical paper packet. And then okay. if they're ready to sign there, we'll have them sign and we'll just scan it in. And then if they're not ready, we'll also email them the opportunity to sign electronically. That was so. going to be what, what percentage of them do you get signed on the spot? And what do you do if they don't sign on the spot? Uh, follow up is key. And then figuring out what if they don't sign on the spot is figuring out what, what, what you're lacking of what, what's going to take them to sign in the future. Right. So, uh, you know, if it's something that we can do or change, or maybe it's a question they want answered, um, you know, we'll follow up with them and get it answered and hopefully they'll, they'll go with us. What questions do you ask when you're trying to figure this out? Um, if it's based on a fee or, uh, you know, Joe gave me go the other day, you know, if it's, if it's some, if it's one thing, ask them, well, besides this, is there a reason why you won't sign with us? So, if you can isolate that to one 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 objection and figure out what how to solve that objection, hopefully you can get them to sign. Mm. So, and be honest with you, I've I've just transitioned to the listing appointments probably the last couple months 
but you know, similar, uh, we've done a, done a ton of buyers meet consultations with them and it's a little bit, a little bit different because you're coming from a different, uh, perspective. There's a lot more emotion tied to the seller's perspective than the buyer side. Cause this is something they've owned and lived in. But, um, I think what, you know, building that rapport and being honest with people and getting them a number that they are comfortable with is huge. How hard do you push to get them to sign on the spot? Mm, I don't, I really never really push people to sign too hard because, uh, I think real estate is one of those, it's not a, a quick decision to make. And I think you really can't force someone into, into buying or selling a house. Um, you could, you could push for it and ask for it, but they're not going to really do it unless they're ready. So just, I think the best thing to do is make them comfortable enough to sign. Um, you know, we don't, I won't take buyers out without signing, you know, I'll, or I'll maybe take them out to one house, but if they don't, before they'll sign an exclusive, um, but that's, you know, we'll, we'll go through the, the method first. Um, but if they don't want to sign and they want to see 10 houses, you know, they might not be the client for us. Yeah. So, yeah. so we want to work for them and, but we want them to be on board with us and, you know, have our back also. Yeah. Cause it's a significant so, investment to do this. Yeah, exactly. Things, right? Yeah. So what if you're getting heat from one spouse? Like you can tell you've got one. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. Mm-hmm. I, I've been, I, I, where you, you know, for sure you have the one, but the other one is just like sabotaging the yeah. whole, the whole, you know what I'm talking about, right? They don't like you or they don't like the idea or they don't like something. Yeah. I think those people probably aren't ready. One or one of them's not ready to make a move. Right. And then, uh, that it's, there's not much more you can do with that. I think you're, you're probably better off pumping the brakes. Um, cause it, it's probably not you. It's something else in the, in the situation that they're not ready. You know, so that's one thing about just following up to see when they are ready or if there's anything you can do to help them figure out why they aren't ready. But, um, yeah, I think that domestic situation can get a little, little tricky. (laughs) Well, and the, the investor side of the world, at least on the wholesale side, it's very different. It's very aggressive. Like some of it old school, you're dealing with motivated people, like slide the contract across, hand them the pen, put the pen in their hand, like it's so. I think you want to have both people present. I don't think you want to deal with one and have them, uh, you know, give the conversation you have with them secondhand. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Like Make sure that. both people are there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then cause you're, who knows what they're telling that person, what you told them. So I think it's both, or, you know, you, if you're emailing someone, you put them, you put both people on that email or both people on that, you know, that text. So you're, you're all on the same page. Mm. If you leave and they haven't signed, what does the follow-up look like? Uh, I'll usually ask for when a good time before I leave is to, this when we could follow up with them. So you get permission to yeah, follow up with and, them. And let them know you're going to follow up. And, okay. uh, and I think one of the big things, too, is following up with them, right? So you tell them you're going to call them in a couple of days, and you do call them in a couple of days and get in front of them. And you're not going to win every one, but uh, – you know, at least you can pick their brain or I'll ask them is it what, you know, why did you go with them or what is, you know, what, what did you need from us for us to go with them, you know, and to see what it is, you know? So I guess that constructive criticism is huge too. So where, where, you know, where you drop the ball or where you could do better. Do you, do you think they tell you honestly why they went with someone or, uh, or do you get bullshit? Like, Oh, my sister's in this one lady was pretty honest with me. Uh, that, you know, she, she thought we didn't have a better sense of, she thought the other realtor had a better sense of the community that there was in, but they also drop their commission <laughs> percentage. So yeah, that makes a huge difference. Bullshit <laughs> lady. I think you're doing it for the money. Yeah. So, uh, that's but, what I'm talking about. People. Yeah. What is it about humans? 
We are lying machines. Yeah. We don't like telling people what we're really thinking for whatever reason. So I try to tell my clients right off the bat is uh, the easiest thing you can do is just be honest with me because you're not you're going to hurt my feelings more if you lie to me down the road and make things more difficult than this being like, I'll be honest with you. You be honest with me and everything will be a lot, a lot easier. Is that exactly how you say it or? Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty direct. Yeah, because. And honestly, the the hardest thing about this business is is the probably the honesty f- factor of other agents uh, that you're dealing with, and you know it's not a difficult business, and we, we just make it more difficult on ourselves. So you know, if everyone had a more simple mindset of being honest right off the bat, or being you know, uh, what's the word? Is just far as um, not mucking up the water, you know, everything would be easier all <laughs> all across the board. Yeah, muddy it, make it yeah. harder to see through. I, I'll tell them if you don't like a house or you don't like something, just be honest with you. You're not going to hurt my feelings. It really, it's really going to take a lot for you to hurt my feelings. And if it's <laughs> if it's not, and I, honestly, if you're not I like that, it's really going to take a lot for yeah. you to hurt my feelings. I'll take it. And uh, like if you're not, even if it's uh, if it's one of us, if you don't like working with us or one of our you know other agents, let us know and we'll help you out. You know, like that's fine. You know, I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Uh, I try Has to that be. happen. Like they go, you know, Bruno, I'm just, you know, uh, I haven't had it personally. The I think it's thing. Doesn't work for yeah. me. I gotta, <laughs> I'm pretty uh, easygoing and, uh, accommodate most people. But you know, if we also try to do better than most, I think and try to ex- exceed, you know, exceed people's expectations. And that's one of the things, if we can't do that and we're not on that same page right off the bat, it's going to be hard for us to, to get along. Mm. What do you do in this situation when they ask for a discount on commission? Let's let's go through some let's go through some seller objections. Bruno, it looks like your team is great and your service is awesome, but I just you know I can't afford six percent. Will you do it for less, Bruno? Yeah, I think one of the things is that we work for that that six percent, or which would be that three percent. you know, just in our marketing or calling our team, our team, just you're, you're back and now you're pretty much having, I think what, 17 people at your back, uh, that you're hiring on. So I think it's a pretty small price to pay to get that competence level. You know, when you're selling a $300,000 house, that few extra grand is, uh, is, is not going to be a, a big difference in the end, but it'll be a big difference just getting that transaction done, getting buyers in and sellers. in. you know, I don't, I don't, I'm saying I don't really have a issue with charging that because we do great work and great service and our, you know, our customer satisfaction is, is probably our, our main goal. So, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to take a hit in price, you might take a hit in your services that you're going to get back. So, you know, don't, don't come back. If you, you're more than welcome to come back to us, but you know, if, if you're complaining about the service you're getting because of the, the commission that, you know, was cut, you know, that, that could be one of the things you're, you're not paying for. <laughs> So. But Bruno, X team over at Real Estate yeah. One, said they can do the same thing for five percent. But I really like you. Why can't you do it for five percent, Bruno? Uh, because by the end of the day, we know this is our job, and we're working for a living. I know. Would you expect to take less for the, for your job? It's, you know, you get you get paid for what you do, and I wouldn't expect you to take a discount if I walked up to you and asked you to just to get paid less for it. You know, that's you know, if you turn that around and make it towards them, you know, you know, if you no matter what job you're doing, if someone just asks you to give them a discount right off the bat for the same amount of work, same amount of time invested, would, what do you think most people would say? No. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that. What do you think most people would say if all you do is ask for a discount right off the bat? Yeah. What can they say? Yeah. They're not going to say yes. Well, they if they do, they sound like an idiot, right? Yeah. And, I, you know, there's there's room to negotiate here and there and depending on the sale, you know, um, but 
you know, for the most part, we try to stick to our guns. Yeah. That's how many would you say with the, the price? I don't know. That's maybe it's a bad question. Tell me if it's a bad question. Mm-hmm. When you get the price objection, how many of them do you overcome with that? Do you think? Uh, I think if it gets down to the price, they're not really looking at the services you're offering either. You know, uh, I think most people are going to be comfortable with that price because they know the service they're going to get. And if they're just, they're just hung up on that price, it's sometimes it can be hard to object because they're just, that's what the only thing they're looking at. They're not looking at the big picture of the services they're getting around for the price. They're just looking at that final number at the end of the day. So, you know, if it's, and I think you get what you pay for. So, you know, um, it's, it's, it can be a very hard price obje- or objection handler, but do you say that? I think you get what you pay for. Uh, not world? so much directly. I try to go back to what we're paying for. And I also, I think it's a big thing to say is to not do it over the phone and just be in front of them and go over those objections. Make them know? look at those big eyes. Yeah. <laughs> do you do the Bambi eyes or you no. pull out pictures of skinny kids or anything like that? <laughs> no, nothing like that. But I think, I think it's a lot easier to be face to face with someone and uh, be successful than to do it over the phone. Like telephone tough guy. They're going to yeah. kick your ass over the telephone. And then I'm like, well, I was just kidding, man. You Cause know? you know, if they're just calling people and just asking about numbers, you know, you're probably going to lose one of those battles. But if you can objection handle to get in front of them, talk about those numbers and what you're offering, I think it makes a big difference. Okay. So what if it's over the phone and you haven't met them yet, but you will let, would you book the appointment so you can discuss it in person? Or? Yeah. That's what you, you try to do is try okay. to get in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that's what you're saying. I just want to make sure. Yeah. I yeah. No, I'm sorry for the confusion. No, yeah. I'm trying to get my learn on. I think I'm confused. So yeah. I'm just clarifying. I think, yeah. If it's a numbers thing, I think you want to get in front of them. You know, you can give them a general understanding of what they're going to get but if they're talking commission or prices you want to get in front of them before you get to that conversation okay what what is the difference between because i know we discuss this on the team sometimes what is the difference between setting a good appointment and setting a bad appointment what's the difference between the two uh what does it look like too so somebody listening would be like oh that's a bro that's a bad appointment okay that's a good appointment so uh, i think motivation of the person you're going to go see um the the ability for them to confirm and get back to you, uh, if you know if you're putting a phone call in or you're sending out an email to see where they're coming back at you at, um, so if they, you know if they're pretty receptive right off the bat and they're looking forward to your your meeting, I think that's a pretty good appointment. You know, um, people that are wishy washy or not returning your calls or confirming, those are the ones that can be a little bit more skeptic. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, you know a little bit of a time suck if you're if you're booking in or driving somewhere and, and there's no one there or you get you get stood up. So that could, but you know, it goes with the territory. I think the best thing is try to confirm those appointments and and maybe build that little bit of rapport beforehand. So you you know you you get somewhat of a connection, and they're a little bit more prone to show up or meet with you. What if they're just a douchebag? You still go? Uh yeah. Or maybe call real estate. Would you tell them to call yeah. real estate one. You should call real estate one and get that discount. Too. I think well, a lot of the things practice too. So if it's not even if it's a, a listing appointment, I think you're going you're going into you know you really don't have a shot or they're not serious. I think a lot of it is just practice of getting in front of people and being comfortable with going over it. I like your attitude. Yeah. You're, you're like okay, I'm gonna learn something out of everything I do. Kind of. Yeah. Well, it might not be you might not be producing income at that point, but it's it's not going to hurt you down the line. And that just one of those things, so the effectiveness of being uh, getting better at it. So the next listing appointment at you're at, you're even better at it than before. So let's say you have this client that doesn't respond that well, doesn't confirm, blows you off. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, how seriously do you continue to pursue that person? 
I mean, is uh, there a difference between do you just do you throw them in the trash, where they go, or what does the follow-up look like on something like that? No, I think you always want to follow up because it might just be a thing if they're not just ready now. So it doesn't mean they're not going to be ready in the future, you know. Um, I had a buyer that we I met with. Um, we had a meeting, uh, you know, and then she went cold, you know, and I would I'd leave her a message maybe once a month, um, you know, just to check in with her. If there was a house I knew in a neighborhood she was interested with, I would just send her a quick text or email. You know, and she never responded back. This is probably a good six or seven months. And then uh, out of the blue, one day she just texts me, there's a house she wants to see and take a look at it. And we went, we went, took a look at it that day, got an offer accepted the next day on it. So I think it's just a matter, a lot of people are a matter of timing. So if you're, if you're in contact with them or you're checking in once in a while, you know, if you're the one realtor they can think of when they're ready, they're going to reach out to you or you, the next time you reach out to them, they'll be ready for you. That's a very interesting thing. So you don't in the in the investor world, I think I may have been doing it wrong. So this is maybe a correction point for me. When somebody stops returning your phone calls or texts, it's done. Yeah. And in general, and I think maybe that's a wrong idea cuz I think maybe we take it personally or maybe just me. I'm not speaking for yeah. the investor world. Maybe it's just me. You fuck around, you quit returning like I do like seven phone calls, couple texts, few emails and then yeah. you probably you might be in an automated email program, but I'm not likely to be calling you. Yeah. But you, you're like, no, they're not being a douchebag. They're not being rude. They're just not ready. And well, they're not going to tell me they're ready. They they're could, just going to ignore me. They could still be all of those things. <laughs> yeah. And not just ready. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you assume you don't know why and just keep doing it. Yeah, because one of the things most people aren't going to be honest with you off the bat, right? So instead of telling you no, I'm not ready, they just won't either. They just won't return your calls or they won't answer. You know. They'll just. It's easier for them just to not respond. I think this is so strange to me. Yeah, I'm no, such I, a direct I'm, person. Yeah, but, and then yeah. I'm the same way. If someone calls me, I usually call them back or you know get back to them yeah. at a certain point. So um, that's that's and beyond. Well, honest enough, like I'm not ready. I'm just not ready. I might yeah. be ready in six months. And you can't take it personally. It's one thing you can't take that to heart. If someone did say they were ready, things change and they could not be ready. You know. Uh, I had a listing appointment. The lady was really happy with us and was going to go with us, but her daughter decided to stick around here for college and she's probably not going to be ready for four years until her daughter graduates. So, you know, you, you keep in contact with this person once or twice a year. There's a good chance that when she does is ready, she's ready to, you know, pull the trigger. So that is one thing I noticed is a big difference from the investor world over the real estate agent world, at least the proficient real estate agents, not the mouth breathers is just how far into the future you're looking. Yeah. We think like in days and it seems like real estate agents think in years. So that, that is something interesting. Oh, uh, no, I wouldn't even, I think most people don't think in years either. I think this, this business is uh, once, once again, it's one of those things is follow up in this business that is always like one of those, those rocks that they teach you is follow up, follow up of, of, of we get caught up in the people who need, service now and then we don't service those people that need help in the, in the you know in the, in the future and you just you you drop those people and eventually when those people need help if you're not there they're just going to reach out to someone else mm. but it's not i didn't come up with it it's just proven that we're people are horrible with that follow-up and we want that instantaneous results in which i'm not saying you're going to drop everything for these people that aren't ready but you'll you, if you keep them in the loop you're going to have success for it all right, so let's go over price objections for listing appointments, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say you go in this house, 
you you have all the information you get there you, you confirm like mm-hmm. okay i'm you've done your homework i think we can list this for 150 and sell it pretty quick but mr and mrs seller or whoever um, they're like no i want 175 because this happens all the time yeah right this happens all the time um, how do you handle that objection because most of the time you are going to be right and they are mm-hmm. going to be wrong but it, it seems nobody likes to take where they think because they got on zillow right that's the one we always go with yeah. zillow well it says, zillow says 175 or whatever reason yeah, they yeah. want it how do you try and move them from 175 to 150 and i'll give you what we do in the real estate world when somebody says well i can list it and make 150 you know what we say we say well, I can list it for whatever you want. I thought you wanted to sell the house. Yeah, that's that's and that's our goal. We tell them we don't we don't try to buy our listings, right? Our goal is to sell your house and not just keep it on the market and uh, you know let it linger. You know, we could you can easily tell them a price they want to hear, but the the goal in the end of the day is actually sell the house. And if they're serious about selling the house and moving on, you want to make it priced competitively. Uh, I always go back to the numbers. That's when we we send them that packet and bring the packet with them. We can look at the numbers of what is sold. So if they're giving you some number that's ridiculous, you could you could point out of what is sold in their area and be like, "Look, at, there's a huge gap of what you guys think this is worth and what is actually sold." You know, and if they're if they're reasonable, you know, you, that's that's a big thing you can tell their personality types is if they're looking at the numbers and they can adjust to what they think it's worth or if they still have this grandiose idea of what they think it's worth, it's a big difference, you know, and then you can have that conversation, like we can list it for that, but you know, in a week, if we're not getting any offers or if everyone's keep saying it's too high, we're going to have to knock that price down. So you, you can foreshadow the, uh, the, the downfall of listing too high is, you know, you're going to be losing money. You might be discouraging some buyers who are taking a look at it. that think it's out of their price range. Um, so, you know, if it goes, if it ends up them not coming back down to a price you think is reasonable, you're going to tell them that, you know, in the future, we're going to have to probably knock the price down. So, so you, you try and get them to, do you get them to agree to a price reduction at some point or just uh, I throw the idea? Out I think there? you throw that idea out. So when you do make that phone call, you're not, uh, you're not running into a more stumbling blocks of why you're reducing the price, <laughs> you know, so. What do you mean why you reduce the price? Yeah. And then you also, you got to bring up appraisal, right? So people, what. Banks are going to, what what it's going to appraise for and what people, and then that's when you put it, you you reverse, you put them in the uh, buyer's shoes of, do you want to pay for something that the bank is saying it's only worth this much, you know, or, you know, let's do it, Bruno. Let's do it. But Bruno, I saw on Zillow that my house is worth 175,000. I really want to get 175,000 for it. Why can't we list it for 175,000? And that's when you break down that square footage price of what is sold and, and like, you know, you can point out a house around the corner that's sold for a different price and be like, this is the square footage price of what this is sold. It's very similar to your house. If we match this to what you're, you're looking at for square footage price, we're coming up with this, you know, like there might, there might be a gap of, you know, uh, a few thousand, you know, here or there, but you know, you just bring it back to the numbers of what's out there. And then if they're still irrational and you know, it's, it's going to be, you can, you can still take it, but you've just foreshadowed that, that price reduction in the future. That was thinking. my next question. Yeah. Do you take it and then foreshadow or do you just if, let somebody else take it? Uh, you, if you could foreshadow, if you think they're going to be reasonable to bring the price back down, I think you, there's, you know, you can take it, but you also, you don't want to give yourself the reputation of just buying listings yeah. and taking it out there. So I think if there's, there has to be somewhat of a middle ground 
of where you're at. Yeah, I had this happen, by the way, in yeah. Ferndale. Listen, that's why I keep asking. You're yeah. like, geez, these are kind of pointed questions, Jeremy. Yeah, this is exactly really? what happened to me. Some ass clown, Keller Williams agent, too, in our office, by the way, bought a listing. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's still there, by the way. It's been like six weeks. So, yeah, and that's, yeah, it's probably overpriced if it's been six weeks. I'm, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure it yeah. is, too. I mean, I'm not the best. I'm not, I've been doing it for a while, like you, but. I knew yeah. I couldn't be that far off. So, and I didn't handle, obviously I didn't handle these objections well, or I would have, I would have got the listing. right. No, that's so. when it goes down to practice. Right. So you just get used to being in that, in that role. So it flows naturally. So if you don't take the listing, do you follow up with them or? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, following up with them. Um, cause also we have buyers, right? So you want to see if it's a house that works for your buyers or someone on the team that can, they can snatch it up. Um, I don't think there's a downfall following up with them or sometimes maybe they'll, they're the agent they do what did went with or went with, they're not happy with. So they might come back to you at a later date, you know? Okay. So, you know, you could always, you know, if that one's priced too high and it doesn't sell, they're not going to, they might not be too happy when an agent tells them they need to knock it down, you know, 10 or 15, 20 grand. Especially if they didn't foreshadow, right? Yeah. Yeah. That can come back and haunt you. Yeah. That's a good point. It's like a, like a landmine. If you, you know, if you don't set them out, you can step on them, right? Okay, so let's switch over to buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, this is completely different. So you touched on it earlier mm-hmm. that you might show a qual. Let's I'll actually start. How do you qualify a buyer? Let's start uh, there. Let's start there. All right. First, I think you want to get them to a lender and see where they're standing as far as financially, right? And see if they're they're ready to buy. Uh, they're ready for closing costs. How much money they have in the bank. Uh, how much they're willing to bring to the table. Because uh, I've noticed a lot of times, you know, lenders will easily qualify you, but they won't They won't give you a, a foreshadowing of closing cost of, you know, earnest money deposit and bring money to the table. So the, a lot of times buyers will get scared after they go through the process and realizing how much money it's going to cost them to actually close on a house. So uh, getting them ready for that and getting them actually qualified and getting, a, you know, a letter of what they can afford. And, um, you know, there's there's – there's a pre-approval letter of what they're good for. And I always try to bring it back down to what they can afford and what they're comfortable with in a monthly payment. So, so let's, let's, Hey Bruno, my name's Jeremy. I saw this house down the street for me. Just listen, I'd like to take a look at it mm-hmm. um, and maybe make an offer on it. Can you show me the house? Uh, I'd be like, yeah. Um, like, you know, I, I try to get some info from you and say like, you know, uh, you know, we'd be happy to show you the house. Um, like how long you've been looking for a house. Have you just started? Has it been a while? Well, my wife and I were talking about it for like the last three to six months, but then I saw the sign go up and mm-hmm. we like the backyard. It has a big backyard and a tree. So, be, you know, is this your first time buying a house? Yeah, this would be our first time buying okay. a house. Have you guys by chance talked to a lender at all or see how you guys are financially? No, but I have a 720 credit score, so okay. I should be good. So I'd be like, you know, we'd be happy to I'd be happy to help you guys out. Um, one of the first things we do is like we like to meet with our clients beforehand. Uh, we really don't like to meet with uh, someone we've never met before at a house, you know. So you're pretty much meeting a stranger at a house. Uh, we'd love you to come in the office. Uh, we can sit down and go over the process, uh, and then if you know we can go over that, and we can go look at the house after that. Uh, we'd also like to get you into one of our preferred lenders to see how you qualify. You know, one of the big things is going to see how you qualify and if you're comfortable with the payment or if you can also afford this house or one similar to it. Uh, we can get you in and we can go over the process and the criteria you're looking at. So, you know, it might not be this house, might not be the one for you, but we can see what else is out there and happily show you those houses too. 
Well, I, I'm sure I can get the loan. I have a 720 mm-hmm. credit score. I have a good job. Can't you just show me the house first and then we can go back to the office or? Uh, I, I, I'd love to show you the house, uh, but I'd like to sit down with you first and go over it because there's a lot more things involved in buying a house than just, you know, getting approved for a loan and seeing a house you like. So, you know, the better, the more educated you are, the easier the process is going to be. Um, you know, and, just going from there. And that's one of the biggest things I've seen is those rush buyers that you take out are going to be the hardest ones to bring back in. If something goes wrong, if there's there's a snag. So if you, I think if you can go over that, getting them in front of them, uh, those are the, been the easiest buyers moving forward. The ones that you rush to go out and take out before like going through the scenarios of most things are the hardest ones to deal with when something goes wrong. So meet them first, qualify. Yeah. And then kind of inoculate them against problems that can pop up. Right? Yeah, exactly. So you're, you're, I think you're sort of, and we do work with a lot of first time home buyers, but if you can come up with scenarios along the way that they're going to see or might possibly see and give them understanding of how we're going to fix it or go through it. Um, yeah, let's it do it. Let's do an example yeah. here. Cause I, I, I've not worked with any, well, I've worked with buyers, but investor mm-hmm. buyers. So it's not exactly the same thing. Right. Highly emotional, highly charged. I remember when my wife and I were looking mm-hmm. at houses. Very stressful for Jeremy yeah. and very stressful for Gina because Jeremy didn't know what the hell Gina was thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever. So people fall in love with houses. I have to have this house. It's yeah. going to be gone. But how do you deal with that situation? Well, that's another object, a good objection handler, too, if they don't want to get a pre-approval letter, too, is like you don't you, you tell me you don't want to show them a house they're not going to be able to get because it's the, one of the hard things is seeing something slip away from you. So you want to be ready to make an offer and make a move on something you do see and you do like. Uh, one of the big things I think is the inspection period is, you know, you can foreshadow that, that you're really looking at uh, big, big, big ticket items that could be a problem down the line, right? So there's going to be the nervous buyer who's going to look at every little thing and get involved in that. I and mean, you're and you're there to foreshadow before even the inspection that you're looking for major things. Like every house is going to need maintenance. Every house is going to need little things here and there, but you're not going to be expecting like it's not a new build. It's not brand new. Everything's not going to be new and shiny. Every house is going to require some maintenance and fixing here and there. So, but we're looking for things down the road that could cost you a significant amount of change. So like things like that. So when you do get to the inspection and the report comes back and let's say there is, you know, maybe say there is, you know, there's a roof that needs to be replaced. You know, that's something that's substantial you know, that we can, we can go after, or if there's, you know, maybe a little things like there's, you know, there's not a GFCI switch in the bathroom. That's a little thing that is a minor repair. So you're not, they're not getting hung up on those minor things. So. All right. Inoculate them. So when they come into the office, so let's say you got them into the office, they're sitting mm-hmm. down, they're right in front of you, Bruno, I want to go check out this house. Turns out you get them all pre-approved, all that. Your goal is to get them to sign an exclusive, right? So you're going to show them houses and yeah. So if they don't want to sign exclusive there and they want to see a house, I, I usually have like a one free free house policy that I'll t- I'll take them. Did you tell the, them that like, hey, I got one free house policy. Uh, yeah, sometimes I will. So you, you know, we'll sign or I'll send you to sign. I'm like, I don't have a problem showing you one house, uh, but you know, going forward, you're going to have to sign these to work exclusively with us, and that also gives you that opportunity to build that rapport too. So by the time you show them your values of going to see that house or not really, they're not going to second guess signing and working with you. Right. Cause they know that you're competent and you know, you, that you're, you can do a good job for them. So at that point you can help sort of help close it if they're, they're leery to sign. I like it. And then if you know, if they're motivated by a house and then they see another house they want to go see 
and they, you know, you built that rapport initially, there's a good chance they're going to call you or they're going to sign that paperwork because they want to buy that house. They want to see that house. So they know you'll take it and see it and they just need to sign the exclusive. Okay. So, so you said, you set it all up and do you say it just like that? Just like we're saying right here? Or? Uh, yeah, for the most part, okay. you know, and I think it goes back to the whole thing of uh, that trust factor and you're selling a product you believe in. Right. So it's like, I have no problem getting you to sign something that I know, I'm not trying to swindle you into signing it. I'm just protecting us for investing in you to buy or sell something. Protecting us from investing in you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cause obviously the dealer group does invest in buyers and sellers. Right? Yeah. Well, so. you know, we, we look out for their best interest and we try to get them like the best deals. Right. So if you sign with us, we're going to look out for you. Mm. Yeah. All right. So how, how do you show buyers houses? Let's assume you got the exclusive signed. Mm-hmm. You're good. Um, how do you show them a house? How do you qualify them the house? Because obviously mm-hmm. there's there's a couple things pulling at the same time. They may want to look at dozens of houses. Yeah. That is a shitty business model unless it's Manhattan. Yeah. Um, it, it needs to be it's six percent of which half is gonna go to the listing agent mm-hmm. and then you're gonna whack up the other half with a team. You can't be showing somebody fifteen houses, right? So how do you find that middle ground with your, your buyers and then navigate. Cause that's like a Rocky shoal. Yeah. Know? So I think a uh, big thing is figuring out what they want in a house first. Right. And, and, uh, the, a lot of, especially, so the easiest thing I think you can deal with is people who bought houses, uh, like the second or third time. Cause that first house is like the, I always joke. It's like your first wife. You want to, <laughs> uh, you'll know what the, uh, <laughs> you're that Gina. You'll be uh, your second wife will be a lot easier to pick out. When you, uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I love my wife. I didn't mean that despairing. It's like, a joke, uh, people. Yeah. That is hilarious. So, um, <laughs> so the you know you don't a lot of the new time first times don't know what they want in a house. So I, I that's another thing we try to foreshadow at the uh, buyer's consultation is that we want to be intentional at the houses we look at. We just don't want to throw a big net and see it. Look at all the houses that are active and for sale. Uh, you know, we want to pick out the, the the top houses that you're interested in. And then if we don't find one in that, you know, top four or five, we want to pivot from there and learn what we didn't or didn't like. So we're not seeing that same house you didn't like the first time we went out. We want to figure out what it's going to take to, you know, and then not that if, even if we can't find a house for you and there's houses on the market, if they're similar to the ones we already shot down, there's no need for us to go out and look at that house until we see that one that pops that you're ready to buy that will do it, do the trick for you. So we're not giving them that, that, uh, that uh, heads up that we're not, our goal isn't to look at 30 houses and pick the best one. Our goal is to look at the fewest possibles that meet your criterias and adjust every time. If we go out and don't put an offer in, we got to figure out what went wrong at those houses we looked at for the next time we go out for you to put an offer in a house. Is that exactly how you say it too? We got to uh, figure out what went wrong. Yeah. I, well, I'd like to say we want to, we want to regroup and figure out what in those houses was it that didn't you didn't like or did like? So we can either look for that in the house or not look for that in the house. So, so this is the challenging part, and I want to narrow in on it because mm-hmm. we covered it earlier. People very often don't tell the truth about. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many mm-hmm. times they say, "Well, I I have to have uh, a three bedroom," and then they buy a two bedroom. Yeah, well, I have I, to have a basement, and then they don't buy with it. I'll say that 
in the beginning, I was like, do you, do you need a basement or would you like a basement or do you need a garage or do you, you must have a garage. So okay. if we're setting up in a criteria and they're sending me houses that don't have that, I'll, I'll call them on it and be like, well, you said you, 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 you needed a basement and this house doesn't have a basement. I'm like, is that still true or do you want to readjust your search? So you're, you're throwing it back at them to qualify it or not. Okay. You know, and sometimes they, they'll say, yeah, I can live without, I can live with one bathroom instead of one and a half or more, you know, like things like that. Um, so I think, but I think if you, you get in their head that we're going to look for those things off the bat, you know, and then if you're, if you're telling me differently, you know, when we need to readjust or I'll, I'll tell them when do we go out and I'm like, you, you can be perfectly honest with me if you hate something on this house like i'm not going to get offended this isn't my house uh <laughs> we don't have to run through every house if you if you initially know this house isn't for you tell me why uh you know we'll go on to the next one you know and we'll tell me why it doesn't work for you and you know we'll we'll mark that down how many do you line up to show them in a day uh i really wouldn't do more than four or five and then uh because you know when you start off too you think uh you think activity is like productive, you know? So if you're seeing, you know, 10 houses with people, you're thinking you're being, you know, productive. Yeah. Busy isn't profitable. No, exactly. So, and then, uh, you, you get, you get confused, right? I think you see more than four houses. You're going to, the houses are going to start to bleed together. Right. So if you're just running through houses, the things you did like in some house and things you hated, you're going to get confused and mix up what house is what. So, um, I think it's best to keep it probably around four, and then if you're serious and they're ones you really like, you shouldn't have, a, you know, there shouldn't be really more than four in the market unless they're in different cities and you haven't really narrowed down your city. So that could be another qualification of people are undecided on where they want to live is to make them do some homework and check out those cities and those neighborhoods before you're spending that those hours with them driving them around. Yeah, how do you tell them that? Because because you don't you uh, don't go say, hey, look, it's not profitable me to drive around. No, I said here. we're going to give you some homework. So you know, if you're giving me three cities that are twenty or thirty minutes apart, I'm going to say, well, I, I would I would drive those neighborhoods, drive those cities, see what that commute time is to your work. Um, I want you to you know let's narrow down where you, where you see your guys self living. You know, because there could be a difference in you know schools, taxes, in you know the area you're looking at. So. Like, is it all about the house or is it about the house and the community you're living in? Lots of questions. Yeah. Do you send them all the houses you're going to walk through first or? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I've been putting, we've been putting more people on a concierge search of, of vetting the houses before they see it uh, instead of just sending them what's out there. What is a concierge So search? you'll get the list. You'll get a house first sent to you and you have to approve it before they'll get sent over to okay. them. Okay. So, um, and then um, you could see what they've chosen. If they've picked out a couple, you can sort of see what else is out there that might fit. You know, it might be a little bit above their price range, but if they can afford it, you might want to bump it up just to see what they can get for a little bit more. That's going to make a difference. Or if you see something nearby that might fit their criteria, it's it's worth checking out. Because if you're going to go see three houses, adding a fourth house in a, for another 15, 20 minutes isn't isn't the biggest time suck that, you know, those one offs are going to be that time suck of going to see a house. So you'll show them a house that's more than what they say they want to pay. Yeah. Well, let's say if they're in around 200 and they're approved for 250, if you're jumping up to like 220, it's going to be, you know, a hundred, what a hundred dollars a month on their mortgage. Yeah. If it's for a house they like, or if it's sometimes they're going to redo, like redo a bathroom in a house at 200. Why aren't we looking at a house that's has a redone bathroom at 220, you know, things like that. So, uh, people, but Bruno, yeah. I said 200. Yeah. 
you know, we can go take a look. You don't, you're not buying the house. You just, you see, if you see something you like, sometimes the price isn't, isn't a, isn't a question, right? So you see that. God damn it. You salesman yeah. <laughs> always trying to sell more, Bruno. Why can't you show me the house I want to see? Well, we, we saw three, you know, three houses at 200 that you didn't like that you're not willing to put an offer in. And if you like this one at 220, you know, you can reconsider what you're getting at 220 and not at 200. You could reconsider what you're getting at 220. Yeah. I like this. See, I'm getting my learn on. <laughs> These things have all happened to you, right? Of course. Yeah, well, because people lead with price, right? And they they think they know what they want for that price. And then once you see what's out there for that price, you can really change their mindset of this is this is the price you had in mind and this is what you're getting for that price. And if you're not happy, uh, a couple of things have to change, right? You, you got to pay more a lot of times, right? You have to pay more or ask for less of what you're, what you want in a house. Nobody okay. wants to ask yeah. for less, do they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'll just take less. So yeah. do you do it every single time or do you only do it after there's been some misses? Like it, if you go look at three or four, at 200,000 and they're all like, no, no, no. Is your first go to, they probably want more house. Uh, I think it. I think you got to figure out what you're looking at too. So, um, and what those houses are offering or lacking, and what they're looking for. If it makes sense to go see another house, or, or if you're just uh, what's out there is just not ready. You know, their their house, their 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 active house isn't out there yet. You know, so it could be a waiting game. So you know, if if someone's willing to wait, you tell them that we you know we might need to just step back and wait for this house to pound, to jump, and then when, as soon as it hits the market, we'll jump on it and go take a look at it. So, um, I think you always should be comparing the houses you're looking at to each other too, and getting that feedback from them because a lot of times people don't know what they want. So you sort yeah. of ask them what they want and show them. You ask them what's wrong with this house compared to this house. They can sort of, you know, it's them. You can see the wheels churning at some point of them thinking about why they didn't like this house. Or they actually, if it's a couple that's a big, and that's, that are sort of on two different um, wavelengths, they can sort of hash that out together of, oh, one, one person liked this or I hated this. And they didn't, they might not even known the other person hated it or liked this, but they're sort of discussing it in front of you too and figuring it out what they can live with and what they can't with, you know? So that's interesting. So you'll go look at three or four houses. They don't like any of them. So you'd be like, well, would you like, would you not like about a, would you not like about B? Would you? Well, I try to do that. If we go to that second house, I'd be like, well, how does this compare to the first house? Okay. So you do it immediately. Yeah. This is just standard operating procedure. Yeah. Well, you tried to, right? Constant so you, refinement. Yeah. In fi- or you want refinement and intentionality of, of the houses they're looking for the next time, right? So, and then and then they're telling you this, right? So you're not putting words in their mouth. If they told you they hated one thing about one house and they want to go see that same thing about a house next week, you can tell them that you told me you hated this about the house, right? So you're not, you're it's not, not you, it's them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, you're you just said. giving them back what they told you, right? But lady, so, you told me you yeah. don't want the old bathrooms. And we it's hard to have an argument when you're telling them what they told you, you know, that's like true. they can't really argue with you because it came from their mouth. Uh, so that's a good, I'm liking it. All right. So offer time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is going to vary because this recording is going to be out there forever. So mm-hmm. um, I know right now we're in a seller's market. This can be a difficult thing. They find a house yeah. they're in love with, and it's offer time. And at least in Metro Detroit and many parts of mm-hmm. Oakland and Macomb County, it's going to be a multiple offer situation. How do you prepare them for multiple offer situation, and how do you – how do you get them to make an offer that is more likely to be accepted? 
Uh, I think, once again, in that buyer's meetings, you tell them what uh, where the market's at, right? So if it's a seller's market now, you, you foreshadow that. We're, and if it's a city they're looking at that's a hot city, you, for, you foreshadow that we're probably going to run into that situation, right? And then what we can do to make our offer stand out um, and getting them ready. Because you're probably going to have this. You're going to have the same conversation with them again when it's time to put that offer in, right? So, you, But Bruno, I really want this house. Yeah, so you plant that seed that you might have to go above asking price. You might have to put an appraisal guarantee in it. You might have to waive some occupancy. I think you plant those seeds beforehand so they're not hearing it for the first time when it comes to put their offer in. So they're not... You know they can they can still not be ready for it and just say I want to put the offer in at list price and you can suggest that you think it's going to go more or you should put an appraisal guarantee and, and they might not listen to you then but you know if they don't get that offer accepted and we get beat out by other offers that next house you're you're telling them it again and I think it starts to sink in that they know if, if they want this house they're going to have to start listening to you and probably start doing things uh, maybe above asking price or bringing a little bit more money to the table. So if they disagree, you obviously you submit the offer anyway. Yeah. How hard do you fight it before you submit the offer? Uh, I usually don't fight it too much because one of the biggest things is uh, buyers will let will see houses they love slip, slip away, and that will be like one of the biggest learning factors to them is that they're going to have to fight for that house if they want it. So they might have to you know rethink what they're going to go and put an offer in for. So uh, you know if you see a house slip away, you can see that they get. They almost get a little bit upset, but they, if you told them what it needed to, you know, what you needed to do to get this house and they didn't listen to you, they really can't get too upset at you because you sort of told them. That's a good point. And they, and then they just went with the offer they thought was best. What if they get upset with you anyway? Bruno, I really wanted that house. Well, you can be like, well, you know, I, I told us, you know, I told you that we should have went in at this, you know, they really don't get, it's hard for them to get upset because you didn't really do anything to get them upset. You know, like they didn't get the house and. You told them that it went above price or they offered this, you know, we didn't offer that. So they understand there was a better offer on the table that someone else took, you know, why they're not going to, you know, take a lesser offer. Not necessarily, but, you know, you just say there's, there was a better offer that they took, you know, so next time we're just going to have to go stronger for that house, you know, and go for it. So, you know, and it doesn't mean they're going to get it the next time, but at least if they put up more of a fight, I think they feel better about if they lost it or not, you know. All right. Got the offer accepted. Mm-hmm. Now it's inspection time. You covered it a little bit before because you inoculate them. You So you, before you're even at an inspection, you've told them, look, this is for big ticket items, right? Not peddly shit. Yeah. And uh, hopefully your agent's being competent of sort of screening the house too and looking for some big things before you get to that point. Um but, you know, you, like you pointed out, be like, all right, this furnace is a little old or yeah, this roof might need to be replaced. I, would, or, I try to tend to look at those things and, and point them out beforehand and, and uh, just let them know if it's something big. I don't want people to spend money on stuff, but, you know, like if it's foundation repairs and stuff like that, I'd, I'd rather have them spend their money on something else or move on to a different house. So if you're getting to that point where you're into this in the inspection and you're paying the inspector and there's something that's majorly wrong with it, it you know, I don't want them to get to that point before i'd like to at least point it out to them before they love the house we can move along and we can see you know if it's something that we can fix or they can get fixed down the road so um but getting them comfortable i think um having an inspector you you know and trust too that's that's uh competent and an inspector that knows too that you know you're looking for big ticket items and it's going to point out you know the maintenance things and the things that are, are a major concern is also a, a big, you know, and I granted, you know, you do want some separation with the, with the inspector, 
there's the inspector that's going to kill the deal, but you'd rather have them kill the deal that's, that's worth killing if you can't renegotiate and, you know, get that buyer back into a house they love and, you know, and down the road, they need to sell that house and they're going to look at you to sell and buy in the next house and just trying to, you know, work a quick deal over them and make a quick buck. That was going to be my next question because yeah. we've all had that inspector. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? 35 pages. Yeah. Every dog hair, paint chip, crooked molding in yeah. the corner and they pictures uh, and it looks like it's just a fucking disaster. Yeah. Right. What do you do in that situation? Throw in crazy emotional spouse. Uh, I would, you know, so this I'll, house is falling yeah, apart, I'll review you that, said it was a good house. Review that inspection report and I'll, I'll, and I'll point out uh, what I think is an actual concern and what isn't, you know, and what's just maintenance and, you know, lifespan of a house that needs to be worked on. Um, but you know, those people are going to be some, sometimes those people aren't ready to buy a house too, cause they, they get overwhelmed with that inspection and, and owning a house cause owning a house takes work, right. And it takes time and money to maintain and keep up. So I think sometimes it might hit home that this is <laughs> what it takes. Welcome to real life. Yeah, so <laughs> everything's uh, falling apart all the yeah, time. So, you know, you. having an inspector, that's not going to, blow up the minor things and just tell them about it and tell them how it can be replaced or fixed. Um, and an inspector who's, who's, you know, categorizing the major concerns and then you're sort of doing the same and like, you know, these are major and these are minor, you know, we want, we want a house with, with pretty much no majors on them and you can have those minor things that just need to be taken care of down the road. So, cause if you like this house, the next house is probably going to have the same minor concerns if it's built in the same time period or same, you know. Did you say it like that? Uh, for the most part. But usually, like, we can sort of squash those minor things that this is what it, it takes to own a house. Like, you're going to have these you minor say, things. This is what it takes to yeah. own a house. Yeah. I mean, these things happen. You yeah. got to fix I, them. I always use the used car analogy that, you know, if you buy a used car, it's not going to be perfect because you know it's not new. Okay. But you want a you know, used car, you can still get some miles on it. You know, it's not going to fall apart on the way home. So that, you know, I think they, most people have bought, bought a used car in the past. So I think they know, uh, if you haven't bought a house before, you know, you, you know, you might not expect that, but you've bought a used car and it could have been a lemon that you bought or it could have been a, you know, a car that ran for another 10 years, but you sort of have that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. There was like a couple of scratches or a couple of dings on it, but it was, you know, everything else was fine on it. You know? Yeah. What do you expect? It's a used car. So you can't, yeah. you can't try to tie it back into something else they've already experienced and overcome. Yeah. Okay. I like, hey, see, I'm getting my learn on, man. It's a reason you're selling shit, Bruno. <laughs> like, I know how to do this stuff. All right, we get through the inspection. Now we got to get through, dun, 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 appraisal time. Okay. What do you do when the appraisal goes sideways? This is not as, this isn't a big issue as it used to be a year ago, obviously. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things is with your offer is you're pulling cops and seeing where your offer, where you think your offer stands, right? So, um, if you think your offer is is not going to appraise or going to be way off and your buyer still wants it and the seller wants to go for it, you have that conversation with the uh, listing agent before and, or, and, and your buyer about the appraisal and that, you know, what, you know, you tell the listing agent. So what happens when the appraisal comes in low? Did you say it like that? Yeah. What happens when the yeah. appraisal comes in low? Because if it is something that I think that the price is, is pretty far off, I'll, I'll definitely have that conversation with them because- one of the things is also time, right? So by the time you get that appraisal in, if you already got your inspection in, if we're just having that conversation for the first time, it's a lot, a lot harder. If we're having it again, 
you know, you can also use those words you threw back at them before, you know, if they said, oh, yeah, we'll renegotiate or we'll do this or that. And you'd be like, well, this is what we, we had this discussion and this is how we left it last time. You know, so um, once again, you're putting their words back in front of them. You know, you must take a lot of notes because there's just no way you can remember all this. No, shit, right? I have a pretty good memory of a stupid memory of stupid little minor conversation details. <laughs> so um, I'm going to hold you to that now forever. Yeah. I'm like, Bruno. Yeah, you said rem- you had a good memory. Yeah, I remember faces and 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 uh, conversations <laughs> here and there. So like, uh, and I think that's another thing. I think some people don't remember what they said, and then I think once you start to trigger that memory, of, we've had this conversation before, and this is what you told me. Um, you know, so I want to see where they're at as far as I'm like, have you talked to your seller about the appraisal if it comes in low, and you know what they're willing to do. Um, you know, so we, we can get that conversation started at least. Are you that direct? Like, hey, have you? You don't just say, have you thought about it? You say, have you talked to your seller? Yeah, I had this conversation yesterday. Okay. Yeah, about, you know, and I said, yeah, I'm like, because they kept, they kept, every time we'd establish a price, they kept countering at a higher price. So <laughs> I said, and then my buyer, and this is what did you things. say when they do that? What are you like, look, dude. Yeah, I said, this is ridiculous. I said, why don't you send me something to sign and we'll sign it? Because you can't, this, this going back and forth, is it send me something we can actually sign? And move forward. Oh, I like that. So yeah. you said, just let's, this is ridiculous. Send me something. Yeah. I can. So you just put it all back on. How many times did they counter before you did that? Uh, twice after we established a price through like verbal or email communication. Motherfucker. Yeah. You're kidding me. Yeah. So, but it was one of the things that the, <laughs> my buyer still liked they the house. They wanted it, right? Yeah. yeah. So and you got to do what the buyer wants, right? Yeah. And, I, and he's ready. And I, he's, and he's aware of the appraisal. Uh, I talked to the listing agent and I said, well, what if it appraises, you know, I think we were at 195 and I'm thinking it might appraise around 180. I said, well, what, what if it appraises at 180? And she said, he's like, well, I think the seller might be ready to understand it if it had actual appraises and someone else brings a number like that, you know? Okay. So, it doesn't always work. Who knows if the listing agent is telling me they're talking to the seller about it. You know, There's but, only so much you can do. Though, yeah, at right? least the yeah. listing. You're not going you're to get so much lip service from the listing agent if you already had that conversation with them. So yeah. basically, you're kind of doing the same thing you did with the buyer. You're turning it around and doing it on the listing agent, too, when you think there might be problems. You're trying to yeah. get ahead of it, inoculate it, establish some sort of rapport, throw what they said. Mm-hmm. Not throw, but you know, point out what they said previously. I'm seeing yeah. a pattern here, right? You just ask a bunch of questions, get them to commit to something, well, point so- out they committed to it before. Mm-hmm. So you're confused why we're back in this situation. Although it is odd that you would agree to a price a couple of times and then they would counter. Back. Oh, totally odd. That's was, yeah. I, that was that, that phone call would have been a little rougher if I did it. Well, the listing <laughs> agent said the, the owner owns a couple funeral parlors and is not in a hurry, you know, and, and I said, well, she's also not dealt with, I'm like that, that line of work, you don't really have a counter. You know I'm saying people in that line, if you're, if she's dealing with the type of people who really don't have an option, you know, okay. like we have an option that there's other houses on the market. You know, this isn't the only house we're looking at. So, um, but you know, that's what I'm saying. We, we make this, this business more difficult on ourselves than it really needs to be. You know, like if we established a price that we could have, we agreed upon and we went with that instead of keep, they keep countering back and forth. Like let's let the goal is to make it, make a transaction. Right. And then just put it all on the table at first, you know, let's be honest with everyone and let's move along. Everything would be so much easier. You know, you wouldn't have to deal with 50% of the, the fluff and the, uh, the crap that you get slung your way. 
We, we, I don't know. I read an amazing book by Sam Harris called lying mm-hmm. and he makes an, it's not, it's not a long book folks. It, if you go and you look it up, Sam Harris lying, it's like 120 pages. He lays out a pretty good case of the damage we, we make in our lives mm-hmm. by constantly um, lying in a multitude of ways, lies by omission, lies by camouflage, all sorts of different lies and just the subterfuge of just, yeah. we are an interesting species. Oh yeah. I would say we want something and lie about it and deceive and I never sabotage. And it's very strange. It makes, it seems like it makes life so much more complicated. It does, doesn't yeah. it? And everybody does it. Yeah. I catch myself doing it sometimes. How are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing great. No, I'm <laughs> fucking, I'm sucking, man. I'm barely holding on. I don't know what well, I'm, that's like a gr- I don't say yeah. that though, do I? That's that upfront honesty, though. That's that's just like a common greeting, though. When you say hi or hello, like how you're doing, is pretty much saying like that's hi or hello. Not the best example, yeah. but but I also uh, that that memory of remembering what people say is I people are horrible liars, and I'll remember what you've told me, and then I'll, the next conversation I have with you, you tell me something different. I'll immediately catalog that dun, as, dun, dun. is that you follow that away. Yes. So um, I'm dealing with one of those. I'm gonna have yeah. to so, look into everything. Then that's one of those, I think, those, when it comes down to knowing who you're working with, right? So if you know that something like that is sketchy off the bat, you know, you, they're sort of, you, you pigeonholed to them already of what you're, you're going to expect going forward, you know? So they're telling you one thing and one day and then the next week they're telling you another thing. I think you got to be ready for that. How uh, confrontational are you in those kind of situations? Because I know this happens yeah. all the time with listing agents, right? I mean, maybe not all the time, but. It happens regularly. Yeah, and that's what it's hard because there's not really too much you can do about it. I think that's when you. That's when I said, "Send me something back. We can sign." Because I'm I'm done having this right. conversation. We could use that yeah. here. Send me back something I can sign. Yeah, so, I'm done having this conversation. Yeah. So give me something that we can actually put under contract, or give me a price on a contract that we can sign to make move forward. You know, instead of this back and forth. You know, like if you're going to give me the runaround. Um, Let's, let, like, let's just stop that and stop having this conversation. <laughs> so, Dude, I like it. It's yeah. That's a bold move. When, yeah. well, I mean, they brought it on themselves by fucking around, but still, I like it. Yeah. So you, it's don't just give me a number. Put it on a PA yeah. and send it over, and maybe we'll sign, maybe we won't. Yeah, and it's something. And then there's also, because you got to remember that you're, you're, you're relaying this information back to your buyer or your seller, right? So it's going both ways. So, um, you know, you can tell them what you want, but you know, they're not getting it firsthand like you are. So, you know, you got to relay that back to them. So it keeps going back and forth like this. You want to try to nip it in the bud, I guess. Interesting question. How much of this process do you share on either side? So let's say you have, obviously I'm going to be nice and say confused listing agent, (laughs) obviously mucking it up. Do you go back and Uh, say, sorry, man, right now I'm fucking around with listing agent or or I try to, I guess you try to keep your, I think one of the things we offer is less stress, right? We try to take away most of the stressful things that you're going to see and, uh, and not bring it up unless you sort of have to bring it up to them. So like this, this deal, I sort of had to bring it up cause it kept getting back and forth and I just trying to tell them what's going on that, you know, they keep countering every time we establish something. So, um, if it's something that's not, uh, like a big, big thing, I don't think you really need to bring it up with your client cause just, you don't want to overwhelm them also. Cause it, if it's something that, you know, it's going to be fixed or, I wouldn't, I won't bring something up unless I know there's going to be a solution for it. You know, like, so if it's something that instantaneously happens, I'm not going to tell them right away. I'm going to wait, to, wait a little bit to figure out how we can 
uh, solve it before I have that conversation with them and be like, you know, A happened and this is what we can do. I'm not just going to say this is what A happened and let them stir and get, you know, overwhelmed and nervous about it. I'd like to give them a, a solution based with a problem that comes up. That's you know? a good point. So, so if you have a problem, yeah. you're not going to reach out if, yeah. you, if at all possible until you have a solution, unless you're backed into a corner. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you really have to get a hold of them. But you know, if it's something, you know, that's if someone's going to call me with a problem, I'd also like to know what the solution is and not just there's a problem. That's true. So, like, okay, what are you going to do about it? I don't yeah. know. I just thought I'd call and tell you. Like, and that's okay. what I think you're also offering value again, right? You, a, pro- a problem has arisen, but you're coming up with a solution or solutions to try to figure it out. I like what you said there. Part of the value is less stress. Yeah. They don't need to know. Yes. Okay. I, I like this. I'm getting my learn on, man. And then a lot of it is talking your clients off a ledge, right? That you see them getting overwhelmed and stressed over little things and having that conversation about this isn't something to worry about. This is the way we're going to do it. This is what's going to happen. And then sometimes I'll be like, okay. Like you say it like, that? yeah, like, Hey, this is not I something had, to worry about. It. Yeah. I just had a buyer freaking out about little things for the inspection and we were ready to close. And I said, no, this is fine. This is good. You don't have to worry about it. This is one of the, you know, one of the cleanest inspections we ever had. I'm like, in fact, I'm like, do you remember the inspector gave you a discount because it, took him so little time and said it was the cleanest one of the cleanest houses he said he's like okay all right i'm good (laughs) lead with the evidence and he was just one of those worriers that was there's lots of yeah freaking out about every little thing so dude buying that's one thing i have to constantly remind myself of having bought and sold and been a part of so many real estate Mm -hmm. deals it is easy to forget how terrifying the process can be yeah that's a, that's a valid point is you have to step away and get yourself back into the shoes of that buyer that this is, if it's their first time or second time, it's a huge, huge purchase to them. You're doing it every day in and out. There are, they're freaking out. It's a huge investment for them. So you got to remind yourself that, you know, they're in that position and seeing it from their perspective and, and sort of talking them down from that. I think we for, I think everyone forgets that, right? You 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 see this in inspection, and they're worrying about it. And you're like, no, whatever, it's anything. But you have to s- step back and explain that to them that, you know, this is what it is, you know, and help them guide them, you know, along the way. All right. So past appraisal, everything goes smooth, mm-hmm. heading towards the end zone. I'm thinking of some things that are going to crop up. I'm trying to cover all my bases here. Mm-hmm. Title issues. How do you explain? title issues well luckily we have the admin staff that handles a lot of that contract to close portion of it so i try not to get involved unless there's something i really need to get involved with and and talk to the uh, buyer seller about what's going on so hopefully they can they can handle a lot of it through emails um or phone calls if it's something major i might have to step in and you know give them a call and go over it of what our options are and what we're seeing and what the delay is so um I think the biggest things we see towards closing is probably um, taxes. Taxes have been a big thing lately because the prices and houses have jumped significantly. So if it's sold, um, you know, a while back and it was at a different um, assessed value, it's getting uncapped when that house is being sold. So they might be shocked with the, with the taxes going up. So it's a good thing to foreshadow that you know your taxes might get a big significant bump. Dude, of, that's a good point. Yeah, because that is happening now. Oh, big time! Yeah, Royal Oak, Ferndale, yeah. Brown, like all these places are getting double digit appreciation. Yeah, I think uh, cities we, are starving for cash. They're jacking it up. I think we just had a house in Westland that I think the taxes almost doubled from like oh, three grand to probably six grand. Jesus, so, must be a nice house in Westland for that much. 
No. Uh, well, you know, it's a nice house, but it's it's a big, it's a significant chunk for I think it was like a two hundred thousand dollar house. So you got to prepare your buyers for that, you know. And this was just telling them that this is what the millage rate is. This is what it's going to be if you buy a similar house in this area. You know, this is what we're looking at. So, like, I know this is a, a price hike, but if we're going to buy a house down the road in the same area, this is you're looking at that same millage rate. That's not going to change, you know. So, I like um, how you did that. Look, this is just what it is. Yeah, this is what it costs. Go complain to the Westland. City that's Council, what I said. You know? He said, "Is there anything I can do about this?" I said, "You can ex- complain to your city about your tax bases, or if you see a, if the market does dip." You get your house reassessed and tell them this is this is not no longer the value of my house. This is what the market value of it, and you know, fight for that from to lower that tax. Did you value. point out to them that taxation is theft? <laughs> no, <laughs> but that's the thing about owning a house is sort of first time home buyers. They don't really think about is the insurance, the taxes. Nobody does. Yeah, yeah. until they see that bill. Well, people are kind of used to lower home values and lower property taxes, and they forgot that it was only like eight, nine years ago, they were all up at this thing and they went down and now, yeah. now they're kind of back up again. So when well, I think the cities are de- definitely taking advantage oh, of, yeah. of getting their coffers stuffed. So, yeah. you know, we, we mean politicians want to steal more money <laughs> from us. All right. I'm not going to get too sidetracked. I know you don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Like Jeremy, no, no. yeah, no, doing but it. <laughs> that's what, but the thing is, it's like, you can't control what that millage rate is. So if you're looking in what, unless you're going to move out of that city to a different millage rate, that is, it's, it is what it is. So, um, you know, I think they'll, they'll realize that if they like the house and they want to live in that area, that's what they're gonna have to pay for. Yeah. So. I like that. All right. I can't only think of seller and or buyer try and back out the deal after appraisal inspection. We, we have clear to close. Mm-hmm. I know this happens. Yeah. How do you, I don't know if you handle it differently, if it's, if it's a seller or a buyer, but how, how do you handle that situation? Because that, that's as bad as it can get, right? We're here. We're ready. We've done all the hard work. Yeah. We're ready to go. Title's good, all that. And, and one or the other party changed their mind. Well, it's, you know, once again, they come in for that initial meeting and you, you explain to them that earnest money deposit, right? And that you're actually signing a contract and this is, this is money that you could be forfeited if you break a contract, right? You, you tell them how you can get out of this contract without forfeiting it. And the chances are, if you pretty much have cold feet and walk away that you could be sacrificing that money to the buyer or seller, you know, of, of the house. So, um, I think once people are writing a check and they see that and they might jeopardize that money, you've, you, you've told them that this isn't like, I want to buy, you know, a pair of shoes and I want to return them you know, 20 days later, <laughs> you, you're putting a few grand on the table. You might not see back, you know, that people are going to second guess, you know, getting to that point and losing that money, you know? So, and then I tell them the times that we can walk away from the house, like maybe if in the big thing, you know, is in that inspection period of let me know. That's one of the things of just being honest with me. If, you know, if you're having second thoughts, um, I always say that you should, if you're, you know, you should have a, you should be anxious and nervous, but the most majority of that should be positive that, you know, that positive, um, anxiousness and not that negative, uh, you know, paranoia that if that's overwhelming, let me know. And like, this might not be the right house for you. This is our time to get out. I like that. If it's overwhelming, let me know. It might be time for us to get out. It's going to be overwhelming, but you should still have some positive aspects of that overwhelmingness, right? So you're happy. You're going to get in this house. You're going to, you can see yourself in there in the future. If it's all, if it's all like, you know, darkness, (laughs) 
<laughs> we might, might want to walk away and this is our chance to walk away. Not, not down the line. Cause you could be jeopardizing that money or breaking a contract and you're liable for it. I don't know if you want to talk about it or if you can talk about uh, it. We were talking about a little bit before how a seller backed out. Um, be careful. I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah, no, I think, uh, we had a seller just not show up at the table. Um, they didn't show up at the table. That's when they found out. Yeah. Well, he was threatening. And this is one of the things is, uh, it was an odd situation where the, uh, my buyer's mom somehow was talking to the seller directly and which is never positive. I never would recommend. Uh, and that's one of the big things people understand about realtors is that we are the go between and that, that makes the deal go through. And if buyers and sellers work directly, you would have a, you know, it'd be a mess going oh, yeah. forward. Two lying humans trying to get yeah. to the end. It's not like you need somebody who's going to, I like how you said, but buffer them yeah. from the stress, right? Well, this is one of the cases. This is an investment property. Uh, we had it under contract. We, we, we got under contract, I think in the God, January, February, where the market was a little bit of a dip. Um, I think the seller was ready to sell. And then I think once we got under contract, uh, the market, you know, took an upkeep or, or picked up big time. And I just thought he was trying to shake us down for some more money. Um, before we closed, you know, we, we did everything we, we told them we would do. They did not, they, you know, we had a repair addendum. They didn't finish. Uh, he was threatening to walk and not show up at closing. He never showed up. Um, we, I think that's still under litigation trying to go over, go after them. But you know, the big thing is that they turned around and how and sold that house, I think for another 10,000. So I think it was a case of us getting in, getting a good deal on the price and him feeling uh, remorseful for accepting our offer. But you know, it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen less if you're dealing with a seller who actually lives in the home. This guy had the opportunity in, uh, I don't know what his uh, intentions were as a person, but you know, it's one of those things that is it really worth it to hold off and ruin your reputation and and start you know a whole legal chain of events for you know a few thousand dollars more yeah in the scheme of things so that's it is what it is you know that I think the big thing is not to get caught up in it you know is I I will we'll talk about it and, you know go over our options and then move on because you know you're you're not gonna you're not gonna be making any money you know you learn from it but you're not gonna be productive you're not gonna be making any money you you can't dwell on that. You know, just learn from it. Uh, I like it. I like it. And it's funny how nobody's a socialist when it comes to selling something. Yeah. It's always when you're <laughs> buying something. Do you notice that? Like this guy's willing to break a contract to make a liar out of himself. Yeah. Break the law for 10 grand. Yeah. There's just no end to it. It's like no, nobody is a socialist there. They're, it's always later. They're like that. I, I was hoping it'd be a bigger number. I'm always disappointed when it's so low. And you think after so yeah. many years in Detroit, I wouldn't be like hundred grand. I'd be like, oh, okay, no, all right, that's no well, yeah, ten that's, grand. That's the weird thing. And I, and I don't think it, the weird thing is I don't think this guy really even needed the money. I think it was more of his, I guess, ego getting in the way than anything. So I, I'm, I, I was surprised by the. Uh, the human side of the transactions every day. I'm sure you are. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. We may get more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah. But I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think. What do you do at the closing table or by this time all your work is done? Yeah. At this time, you know, you, you double check the numbers, but at this point you're, you're sort of pretty far removed from the process. If something is to go wrong, there's nothing you could personally do about it. You can just literally just make some phone calls to the people who can correct it. Um, you know, it's either be the title company or the lender, but at this point you're pretty much there for moral support. Um, you know, and it, 
I'd love to not be able to go to the closing table and sit there. I, uh, I would love to just, you know, congratulate the buyers or sellers beforehand. Um, let them know, you know, if there's anything you need, but literally, um, we're sitting there. Um, you know, we are just emotional support. <laughs> I think at that point for the most part, you know, I'll go over the numbers and the checks that are writing, but there's not, once again, there's not much I can do at that present moment, <laughs> uh, to correct it. So, um, Closing is one of those things. I'm not sure. I, I had this conversation the other day and Tom, I'm like, I'm not sure how we got to the point where we're sitting at the table and really not provide. This is like the last time we, the pretty much the, the only time we're not really providing any services because we can't really do anything except take a nice picture. And, but you got to uh, be yeah. there. Right? Yeah, exactly. You got to be yeah. there. So, and it's a journey for them too, you know? So it's like one of the wrap up things for it, you know? So, but I know I'd gladly come by the house afterwards for like a cup of coffee or a beer or I'll bring a six pack. That'd be a lot more fun <laughs> yeah. than waiting for yeah. a stack, especially when mortgages are involved, yeah. a stack of paper that needs to be signed. And yeah, you know, and they're, yeah, exactly. You're sitting there watching them sign, you know, a hundred pieces of paper, you know, and, uh, patting them on the back. Yeah. You did a good job. You exactly. The shit out yep. of that. Here are your keys. Yeah. Have a nice day. What do you do after the closing? Uh, I try to let them know that, you know, if there's anything they need, uh, let us know. We have definitely a lot of referrals if they need a plumber or if they need a landscaper, things like that, or if they have any questions about this or that, you know, that that's not the end of our, our transaction. If, you know, if you need something to reach out to us, we'll be happy to help you out, you know, or if we, or if we can't help you out, we'll point you in the right direction to help you out. And I like this. This isn't the end of our transaction. It keeps going. Yeah. And then we can ask them for a referral. You ask them, you know, make sure, you know, if your friends or family need anyone, we'd be happy to help them out. And, you know, for the most part, they're pretty happy at that point. So, um, that's time to hit them up and, uh, let them know that, you know, we'd love to, help someone else out that they know or if they can think of someone. So go for the ask. Yeah. And then not even just to ask, but you know, just you plant that seed, right. That you're going to ask. And then, uh, usually our aftercare will follow up with a phone call too, to let them know if there's anything they need or if there's any friends or family that can use our help. I like it. You, sir, very shortly are going to be moving to orange County, California. Now, you could have just gone out there, got your real estate license, and started your own thing. But you're mm-hmm. like, no, I'm going to expand the Delia Group. How did you come to that decision? And I know you guys are in the early mm-hmm. planning stages, so I'm not sure where you're at. But I'm just – I'm always curious when people think this way. I'm trying to think because I don't know necessarily I would think this way. And I see a lot of value in the Delia Group. Yeah, the so, – the, I think the, one of the things about joining a team is you definitely can learn a lot faster and get up to speed right on things. And I, and I had this conversation with myself of going out there and just being independent or being, or starting something with a team that, you know, being more efficient with, by having a team working with you, having, uh, you know, some, a qualified lender in, that we work with closely. Um, I think the opportunity was, would be better and easier for us to expand, you know, having that team support than me starting from scratch out there by myself. So I think, I think we could do more as a team than I could do individually in that amount of time. So, and then it's one of those things too, we can, we can try it and see how it works. You know, it's like, let's go for it and see how it turns out, you know, and Joe was, was welling and, uh, and the opportunity was there. So we're going to just give it our best and give it our all and see how it works out. I like it because you're like, there's yeah. not much of a downside. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's the thing. I think sometimes you just get in your own way, right? Of just doubt Dude, and not I do doing something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. fuck. Yeah. It's one of those things that um, I think you got to go for it, right? And not have that regret of not going for it and see how it works. So, 
and that's the thing too. It's it's real estate. It is a different market. Uh, I definitely gotta you know learn the communities in the you know of what we're dealing with compared to here. Um, but you're still offering a good service. It's, you still have those people skills. Um, you know, it's still a transaction when you're looking at it. You're still looking at houses. So it's like if we can just implement that in a new city, uh, you know, and get familiar with that city. I don't see why we couldn't be successful doing it. I think you're going to like the number of zeros in Orange yeah, County, yeah. California. Yeah, and that's the thing. We offer uh, the same service for the $100,000 house or the million-dollar house, you know, yep. the same transaction. And, just, you know, we're going to do our best to, to help you out. Sometimes those bigger transactions are a little easier, too. Yep. My buddy James Danley had a new construction he was doing in Birmingham, and he thought the numbers were really tight and all that, and he was a little worried about hitting appraisals. At one point, he was trying to sell it for – I think he was trying to sell it for $1.1 million and all that. Anyway, he only got halfway through it, sold it for $1.2 million cash. They put down a, yeah. like a ridiculous, it was like a $250,000 non-refundable EMD. Like Sometimes it's just not the problem you think yeah, it is. Yeah. And somebody comes in, you're like, oh, okay, I did okay. You know? So, and so. that's, I think too, he's, uh, I think you got a, at the end of the day, you still have a client and you're still servicing it, right? So if it's a, if it has, you know, a couple of zeros in front of it, you're still finding them a house. You're still doing your due diligence. You're still trying to offer them the best services for it. Right. So, uh, you know, the house could have some more square footage on it, but the transaction really isn't any different. And you really, I don't think you should be really treating it too much different either. You know, I like that. Same, same. Yeah. There any, this part of the podcast, like, are there any books, habits, routines, blogs, podcasts, movies, Anything oh. like that 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 you you have read, watched, listened, encountered that you think would be helpful for somebody listening that you would recommend or had an impact on you, I should say, that had the big, biggest impact on you? Yeah, so I think I'm a big proponent of uh, of seeing what other people have done because um, I think if you're trying to reinvent the wheel, it's, people always have more difficulty. But if you see how other people have been successful in what they've done and just you see – you're following their sort of map of what they did and uh, picking up from what I mean, you ask them what they've done wrong or what they wish they would have done when they started out. And if you realize that, like, you know, you, you don't have to have all the answers, but if you figure out, if you just pay attention to what other people are telling you that are successful, you know, like that's the, one of the biggest I'll take the bait. What, what do you think you should have done differently when you started? Uh, I think, well, going forward, I think, you know, get on the phone, not, not feel resentful about rejection at all. Right. So you just, you go out there and put yourself forward, right. And do it. You know, one of the big things is just doing it right. So, um, not talking yourself out of it. Right. So you're just going to, you're going to be your own worst enemy, um, about, you know, that, and then also, you know, you can have people saying that you can't do this, you can't do that. I think you sort of got to look at those people who did do it and had those naysayers also, uh, and just forging ahead. So I, I see when you, you still look at people who've been successful or had opportunity, uh, things weren't probably handed to them for the most part. They've worked for it or they've, they've worked on their skills. They've, you know, they worked on their craft. Um, they're not just, they didn't, weren't born good at it. The most, you know, 99% of people became good at it or worked but Bruno, on Bruno, the 1%, they have everything. Yeah. So in the 1% have probably worked their, their asses, asses off. off. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you, you can, or they're in the process of losing all their money. One of the two, you could see the people that are around you that, you know, that are successful and you, you, you could tell that they've worked their asses off for the most part to get where they're at, you know? So, you know, and that's, I think the goal is just, uh, 
if you work at it and, you know, not looking at the numbers and what I'm horrible at looking at my numbers, uh, and, and like reflecting back, but I know that like if I work, the goal is if I'm working on something, there's a productivity in that work and numbers just follow, you know? So what numbers do you think are important to follow? Cause I know they track or I should yeah. say not important, the most important. I don't I, want you to list every I number. I think you got to focus on appointments, right? So if you're, you can, this is a, uh, you can have your ups and downs, right? So you can be very busy uh, having people that are active and hot and you're showing and you're getting offers accepted. But if you're not filling that pipeline of new people down the road, you can definitely have that roller coaster effect of up and down, right? So you got to, you always got to get that time for follow up and prospecting and getting new leads into your pipeline and not just servicing what you have. So, and then, which I think we've had to step back to a little bit and, and sort of align our goals of getting back to that lead gen and focusing up on that follow up and not letting those people trickle through the system that weren't ready next last year. You know, that might be ready now. Making sure we're getting back to them. I love it. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to talk about? Uh, or do you have an ask? Ask. Yeah. Do you need anything? I have like 400 listeners now. It's, it's growing. Really? Yeah, I know. I don't know. Um, and just, I know we talked about beforehand, 70% of them are in the state of Michigan and the other 30% are out of state and out of country, mostly Western Europe. So yeah. I get some decent numbers from SoundCloud anyway. I don't get shit from iTunes. I just get like downloads. Are people so. still like thinking they can, are investing in Detroit or That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. I should probably do a poll at some point in yeah. time when I have more than 400. I got a couple thousand. I think I could get a decent number of people to respond. So, but I would say they would be mostly business and or investor oriented would be my, my guess. They're, they're more likely to buy an investment property or invest in property mm-hmm. or a business or something like that. That being said, um, well, I guess what have you seen in your investor side of things? from your, you, you deal, so we, we deal more with the uh, private yes uh, buyer and seller, you know, that are living in the homes. They might want you to list their house. Um, yeah. they, it, a lot of investors don't want to list their own house or sell their own houses, right? They're too busy mm-hmm. buying, fixing, flipping, you know, they, they outsource it. Some don't, some do everything mom and pop all the way through. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that. I'll give you an example. Like castle is a property management company that came on. And they had a client contact them from, I think it was Germany or something, and transferred over 100 units to them and in the process of transferring more. Those are a few examples of um, of people who have been on the, who, who came on the podcast and were contacted by people all over the world. So, do they, well, if you see this, the shift in investors selling they yeah. took their, oh, their, yeah. their investments a few years ago. Even my good friend Jeff, he's been a landlord for years and he's like, now, now my, now's the time. Yeah. yeah. He's like, now, now's the time. He's a cool guy. He's like offloading him. He's doing it himself though. He doesn't, he doesn't like real. <laughs> he doesn't like realtors. He's like selling them on land contract. I don't like and, most of them either. So hey, I, I don't complain. <laughs> when people say talking shit about investors, I'm like, yeah. I'm right there with you. I deal with them every day. I know what it's like. Well, so. I think the problem too is our industry, the, the bar is set so low that there's so much in between the, between the high end and the low end that there's, you know, you can, you can get licensed in a week. In it was a pretty simple test. Yeah. So which, which is a little scary, you know, and these people have just as much right to sell a house as any other licensed agent. 
So you're um, talking to an anarchist. I don't think I need a piece of paper to sell a house. But yes, I get your point. No, I I think you just, I don't think you need the piece of paper, but I think you need experience and you need knowledge of, you know, do a good job on and for with anything you do, you know, pretty much it comes down to so piece of paper or not, if it's your first deal or your first time building a house or you're putting together a car, it's not going to be the probably the smoothest transaction. No, so. the human element, that's where yeah. that's where all the I won't say all, most of the mistakes are made, right? The human yeah. element figuring out i like how you have a you seem to have a mechanism of getting them to commit to some piece of information and if they change their mind pointing back at that piece yeah. of information and this is not i was not like this off the bat these are all things i've tried to learn and become better at down the line you know so it's like you're more effective and you're more efficient uh and you're not running into these same objections every time you're figuring out what cuz i you know it's hard when people can't reflect on what they did wrong. So I, but I always tried to see what I did wrong or what I could do better. And, you know, so it's not, you're not, you granted, you're going to have that client who sucks or, you know, is a pain in your butt, but you know, there could be, a, if you can reflect back on there's a opportunity where something happened to that point where he got, you know, he got to that point and there's something you could have done better to avoid that. I think there's a big, big key is like reflection and learning from those things. So do you have an ask or is there anything we didn't cover? Uh, I kind of talked you to death a little bit there. Sorry about that. I get excited as far as an ask is what, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. That? I don't know if you need anything. You're moving to California. You, you need, I don't know. Uh, I would take any, uh, lead sources in the, uh, orange County area. If anyone is <laughs> looking, uh, uh, maybe we can have a podcast next year and we can see how things are going. Um, I do know a guy who lives yeah. there. Um, Jeff Brown, he's called the bald guy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll see if I can't hook you up. Yeah. With him. He, he's, He's serious. He's he's a serious dude. He doesn't do yeah. so much this side, but he might be a good referral source for you. So, if you want, I can introduce you guys on Facebook. You can kind of do the yeah, that'd be uh, yeah. And that's the thing. I, it is also me getting more uh, a little bit more outgoing. So I am outgoing to a point, but it's like more people I sort of encounter now. So I think a uh, big thing is I'm going to have to get get out of my shell a little bit and uh, you know throw myself out there a little bit more. All right, folks, so. help Bruno out. He's going to in two three months. He's moving to Orange County, California, and he's going to be bringing the Delia group and yeah. the heat. Yeah. And if you want to work with him, reach out and let him know. If you have any leads, reach out and let him know. He's an easy guy to work with. And I think, as you can hear on this podcast, knows his shit, too. He knows how to, he knows how to get from point A to point B. So if you can help him out, um, please do. Thank you, Bruno. I really appreciate your time. Oh, we my pleasure, man. Two hours. I know it's a long time. Was I, it two hours? Yeah, yeah. No, dude, I tortured you. Wow, I was, that went by pretty fast. Yeah, you could definitely tell I had an agenda on this <laughs> one. Like, I need to learn how to do this shit. I need to talk to somebody who's done it. Normally, oh. it's a little bit more conversational. So, yeah, I was I was really into it. So I, I appreciate that. Reach out to him, Bruno B R U N O at the Delia Group D E L I A Group. Dot com. He has a Facebook fan page. It's a long one, but I will put it in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming out, Bruno. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jeremy. And if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, give it a like, share it. And if you wouldn't mind, if you haven't already, rate it on iTunes. If you're going to give me a shitty rating, though, if you, I would appreciate it if you reach out and let me know <laughs> first. Give me an opportunity to improve. Uh, if it's about the bad language, uh, I don't fucking care. All right. If you have any comments, suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. You can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Jeremy Burgess. And actually, by the time you listen to this, 
some videos might be going up on YouTube. Go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. I have over 40 of them to get up. My goal is two or three a week. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but within six months, we should be all caught up. And I really appreciate your patience with that. So I got started. I do that a lot. And I don't know what I'm doing. And some shit falls by the wayside. And I'm picking it up. I apologize. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to do whatever it takes to become financially independent. I know. I say it every, I say it every week. I know there are distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits, all sorts of things stopping you from continuing and reaching your goals. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day to get you close to your goals, even if it's one step. Thank you for listening. I know you can be doing lots of other things right now. I really value your attention. And until the next podcast, crush it.